Tyrion Sarkavanaysa Sadlerini If you are indeed innocent of Joffrey's death, you should have no difficulty proving it uh, at trial. Tyrion at uh, the front window. Who is uh, to judge me? Justice belongs uh, to the throne. The king is dead, but uh, your father remains a hand. Since it is uh, his own son who stands accused, and his grandson who was uh, the victim, he has asked the Lord Tyrell and Prince Oberyn to sit in judgment with him. Tyrell was scarcely reassured. Miss Tyrell had been Joffrey's good father, however, briefly, and the Red Viper was well as snake. Will I be allowed to demand trial by battle? I would not advise that. Why not? He had saved him in the veil. Why not here? Answer me, uncle. Will I be allowed a trial by battle and champion to prove my innocence? Certainly, if such is your wish. However, you had best know that your sister means to name Sir Gregor Clegane as her champion in the event of such a trial. The bitch seeks my checks my moves before I make them. A pity she didn't choose a kittle back. Bran would make short work for any of the three brothers, but the mountain that rides was a kittle of a different color. I shall need to sleep on this. I need to speak with Bran, and soon. He didn't want to think about what this was like to cost him. Bran had a lofty notion of what his skin was worth. Does Cersei have witnesses against me? More every day than he, I must have witnesses of my own. Tell me who you would have, and Sir Adam will send to watch to bring them to the trial. I would sooner find them myself. You stand accused of regicide and kinslaying. Do you truly imagine you will be allowed to come and go as you please? Sir Kevin waved at the table. You have killed Quill. Hink and punishment. Write the names of such witnesses as you require, and I shall do all my my power to produce them. You have my word as Lannister, but you shall not leave this tower except to go to trial. Tyrion would not demand demand himself by beginning. Will you permit my squire to come and go? The boy Podrick Payne? Certainly, if that is your wish. I shall send him to you. Do so. Sooner would be better than later, and now would be better than sooner. He waddled to the writing table. But when he heard the door open, he turned back and said, Uncle? Sir Kevin paused. Yes. I did not uh, do this. I wish I could believe that, Tyrion. When the door closed, Tyrion Lancer pulled himself up into the chair. Sharpened a quill, a quill and pulled a blank parchment. Who will speak for me? He dipped his quill in the ink pot. The sheet was still made and when Podrick Payne appeared some time later, my lord, the boy said, Tyrion, put down the quill. Find Brown and bring him at once. Tell him there's gold in it, more gold than he's ever dreamt of. And see that you don't return without him. Yes, my lord, I mean, no, I won't return. He went. He had to not return 
by sunset, nor by moonrise. Tyrion fell asleep in the window seat to wake stiff and sore at dawn. A serving man brought porridge and apples to break his fast. With a horn of hail, he ate at the table of the bank parchment before him. An hour later, the serving man returned for the ball. Have you seen my squire? Tyrion asked him. The man shook his head. Seeking, he returned back to the table and dipped the quill again. Sunset, he brought upon the parchment. He sat staring at the name. His teeth clenched so hard they hurt. Assuming Geoffrey had not simply choked to death on a bit of food, which even Tyrion found hard to swallow, Sansa must have poisoned him. Jeff practically put his cap down in her lap and he'd given her ample reason. Any doubts Tyrion might have had vanished when his wife did. One flesh, one heart, one soul. His mouth twisted, she was no time proving how much those vows meant to her, did she? Well, what did you expect, dwarf? And yet, where would Sansa have gotten poison? He could not believe the girl had acted alone in this. Do I really, really want to find her? Would the judges believe that Tyrion's child bride had poisoned a king without her husband's knowledge? I wouldn't. Praticamente Tyrion si sente incastrato nell'accusa di aver avvelenato suo nipote e anche se avrebbe voluto farlo non è stato lui ma è stata Melisandre con la, la Black Shadow, l'ombra nera che ha fatto manifestare mediante la sua magia. Questo capitolo è fatto praticamente solo di ehm, conversazioni in cui Tyrion convince gli altri, convince la famiglia e gli altri Lannister soprattutto che non è stato lui ad avvelenarlo. Quindi leggo solo le ultime tre pagine. Lord Varys, perché è stato, Tyrion è stato aiutato a, soprattutto da Lord Varys. Tyrion to trial, but um, Monbrand looked at it curiously when he came to escort Tyrion to trial, but had the good grace not to inquire. Lord Varys, the herald said, Master of Whispers, powdered, primpered, and smelling of rose water. The spider rubbed his hands one over the other all the time he spoke, washing my life away, Tyrion thought. Had he listened to the eunuch's mournful account of how the imp had schemed to part Geoffrey from the hand's protection and spoken with Brown of the benefits of having Tommen as a king, of truth, how worth more than how trial lies, and unlike the others, varies a dark man, spice man, painstakingly filled with notes, details, dates, whole conversations. So much material that its recitation took all day and so much of it demanding. A damning. Varys confirmed Tyrion's midnight visit to Grand Master Pycelle's chambers and, and the theft of his poisons and potions, confirmed the threat he'd made to Cersei the night of the supper, confirmed every bloody thing but the poison itself. When Prince Oberyn asked him how he could possibly know where 
or theism not having been present at any of these events, Yonuk only giggled and said, My little bird told me, knowing his deep purpose in mind. How do I question a little bird? thought Tyrion. I should have had the Yonuk's head off my first day in King's Landing. Damn him, and damn me for whatever trust I put in him. Have we heard it all? Thought I win ask his daughter as Varys left the old, old master. I beg your leave to bring one finally witness before you on the morrow, said Cersei. As you wish, Lord Tywin said. Oh, good, thought Tyrion savagely. After this farce of a trial, execution will almost come as a relief. That night, as he sat by his window drinking, he heard voices outside his door. Sir come for my answer, he thought at once, but it was not his uncle who entered. Tyrion rose to give Prince Hoberyn a mocking bow. Are judges permitted to visit the accused? Princes are permitted to go where they will, or so I told your gods, the Red Viper to Kassir. My father will be displeased with you. The happiness of Tywin Lannister has never been a height on my list of concerns. Is it Dornish wine you are drinking? From the arbor, Aubrey made a face. That water, did you poison him? No, did you? The prince smiled. Do all dwarfs have tongues like yours? Someone is going to cut it out one of these days. You are not the first to tell me that. Perhaps I should cut it out myself. It seems to make no hand of trouble. So I've seen. I think I may drink some of Lord Redwine's grape juice, juice after all. As you like, Tyrion served him a cap. The man took a sip, slushed it about in his mouth, and swallowed. It will serve for the moment. I will send you up some strong Dornish wine on the morrow. He took another sip. I have turned out that golden-haired warrior I was hoping for. So you found Katayas? Her Katayas I bedded the black-skinned girl, Alayaya, I believe she is called exquisite despite the stripes on her back. But the whore I referred to is your sister. Has she seduced you yet? Tyrion asked, unsurprised. Aurelia laughed aloud. No, but she will if I meet her price. The Queen had even hinted at marriage. Her grace needs another husband, and who better than a prince of Dorne? Elaria believes I should accept. Just the thought of Cersei in our bed makes her wet, the randy wench. And we should not even need to pay the dwarf's penny. All your sister requires from me is one head, somewhat overlarger and missing a nose. And, said Tyrion, waiting, by why, by way of answer, Prince Sobrina swirled his wine and said, When the young dragon conquered Dawn so long ago, he left the lord of Igarden to rule us after the submission of some spear. This Sarah moved with his tail from keep to keep, choosing rebels and making certain that our knees stayed bent. He would arrive in force, take a castle for his own, stay a moon's turn, and ride on to the next castle. It was his custom to turn the lords out of their own chambers and take their beds for himself. 
One night he found himself beneath a heavy velvet canopy. A sash hung down near the pillow. Surely he wished to summon a wench. He had a taste for Danish woman, this daughter Tyrell, and who can blame him? So he pulled upon the sash. And when he did, the canopy above him split open, and a hundred red scorpions fell down upon his head. His death lit a fire that soon swept across the undoing all the young dragon's victories in a fortnight. The kneeling man stood up, and we were free again. I know the tale, said the Tyrion. What of it? Just this. I, if I should ever find a sash beside my own bed and pull on it, I would sooner have the scorpions fall upon me than the queen in all her naked beauty. Tyrion grinned, we have that much in common then. To be sure, I have much to thank your sister for. If not for her accusation at the feast, it might well be you judging me instead of me judging you. The prince's eyes were dark with amusement. Who knows more of poison than the Red Viper of Dawn, after all? Who has better reason to want to keep the trials far from the crown? And with Geoffrey in his grave, by Dornish Road, the Iron Throne should pass next to his sister Mycela, who has, it happens, is, is betrothed to my own nephew, thanks to you. Dornish Road does not apply. Tyrion had been so ensnared in his own troubles that he never stopped to consider the succession. My father will crown Tom and count on that. He may indeed crown Tommen here in King's Landing, which is not to say that my brother may not crown Marcella down in Sunspear. Will your father make war on your knights, on your niece, on behalf of, of your nephew? Will your sister? He gave a shrug. Perhaps I, I should marry Queen Cersei after all, on the condition that the, the supporter daughter over son. Do you think we? She would, she would never, Tyrion wanted to say, but the word caught in his throat. Sassy always resented being excluded from power on account of her sex. If Dornish law applied in the West, she would be the heir to Castle Rock in her own right. She and Jim were twins, but Sassy had come first into the war, and that was all it took. By championing Marcella's cause, she would be championing her own. I do not know how my sister would choose between Tom and Marcella, he admitted. It makes no matter. My father will never give her that choice. Your father, said Prince Oberyn, may not live forever. Something about the way he said it made the ears on the back of Tyrion's neck bristle. Suddenly he was mindful of Lee again, and all the Aberyn had said as they crossed the field of ashes. He once they had that spoke the words, not just the end that swung the sword. It is not wise to speak such reasons in the Red Keep, my prince, the little birds are listening. That them. Is it treason to say a man is mortal? Valamor Guris was how they said it in Valyria of old. All men must die, and the doom came and proved it true. The Dornishman 
went to the window to gaze out into the night. It is being sad that you have no witnesses for us. I was hoping one look at this sweet face of mine would be enough to persuade you all of my innocence. You are mistaken, my lord. The fat flower of our garden is quite convinced of your guilt and determined to see you die. His precious Marguerite was drinking from the caddies too, as he has reminded us half a hundred times. And you said, children, men are seldom as they appear. You look so very guilty that I am convinced of your innocence. Still, you will likely be condemned. Justice is in short supply this side of the mountains. There has been known for Hedia Egan or Rennes. Why should there be any for you? Perhaps Geoffrey's real killer was eaten by a bear. A bear? That seems to appear quite open in King's Landing. Oh wait, the bear was a, a tyrano. No, I remember. Is that the game we are playing? Tyrion rubbed at his scarred nose. He had nothing to lose by telling Brian the truth. There was a bear, a tyrano, and he did kill Sir Amory Lodge. How sad for him, said the Red Viper, and for you. Do all nose-less men lie so badly, I wonder? I am not lying, said Amory, dragged the Princess Rhaenys out from under her father's bed and stabbed her to death. He had some men at arms with him, but I do not know their names. He leaned forward. It was Sir Gregor Clegane who smashed the prince. Aegon's head against a wall and raped your sister Elia with his blood and brains still on his hands. What is it? Uh, this now? Truth from a Lannister? Oberyn smiled coldly. Your father gave the commands, yes? No. He spoke the lie without hesitation and never stopped to ask himself why he should. Dornishman raised the one thing that he broke. Such a dutiful song and such a very feeble lie. It was like the wind who presented my sister's children to King Robert, all wrapped up in crimson Lannister frocks. Perhaps you had to have this discussion with my father. He was there. I was at the wrong. And still so young that I thought the thing between my legs was only good for pissing. Yes, but you are here now and in some difficulty. I would say your innocence may be as plain as the scar on your face, but it will not save you. No wonder your father will. The Darnish prince smiled. But I might. You? Tyrion said to him. You are one judge in free. How could you save me? Not as your judge, as your champion. White book sat on a white table in a white room. The room was round, it was of white washed stone hung with white woolen tapestries. It formed the first floor of White Sword Tower, a slender structure of stories built into an angle of the castle wall overlooking the bay. The undercroft held arms and armor, the second and third floors. The smell spears deep in cells of the six brothers of the king's guard. One of those cells had been his for eighteen yards, but this morning he had moved his things to the topmost floor, which was given over entirely to the commander's apartment. 
Those rooms were spare as well, though spacious, and they were above the outer walls, which meant he would have a view of the sea. I will like that, he thought, the view, and all the rest, as pale as the room, Jim sat by the book in his Kingsguard whites, waiting for his sworn brothers, a long sword hung from his hip, from the wrong hip, before he had always worn his sword, hung his staff and drawn it across his body, when he unsheathed it, he has shifted it to his right hip this morning, so has to be able to draw it with his deft hand in the same manner, but the weight of it felt stranger, and when he had tried to pull the weight from the scabbard, the whole motion seemed clumsy and uh, unnatural. His clothing fit badly as well. He had done in the winter raiment of the king's guard a tunic and breeches of bleached white wool and a heavy white cloak, but it all seemed to hang loose on him. James had spent his days at his brother's trial, standing well to the back of the hall. Either Tyrion never saw him there, or he did not know him, but that was no surprise. Abdekert no longer seemed to know him. I am a stranger in my own house. His song was that his father has disowned him and his sister. She had not allowed him to be alone with her once after that first day in the royal sept where Geoffrey lay amongst the candles. Even when they bore him across the city to his tomb in the great sept of Blair, says he kept a careful distance. He looked about the round room once more. White wool and gings covered the walls, and there was a white shield and two crossed long walls mounted above the heart. The chair behind the table was old black oak, with cushions of blanched cowhide, the leather worn thin, worn by the bony arts of Barristan, the bold and Sergeant of the High Tower before him, by Prince Aemon, the Dragon's Knight, Sir Rima, Red Wine, and the Demon. Demon of Derry by Sir Duncan, the tall and the pale griffin Aline Cunnington. How could the king's dayer belong in such exalted company? Yet here he was. The table itself was all we would, pale as bone, carved in the shape of a huge shield supported by three white stallions. By tradition, the dark commander sat at the top of the shield and brothers three to a side, on the rare occasions when all seven were assembled, the book that rested by the his elbow was massive, two feet tall, a foot and a half wide, a thousand passages thick, fine with vellum, bound between covers of bleached white leather with gold hinges and fastenings. The book of the brothers was its formal name, but more often it was simply called the White Book. Within the white book was uh, the history of the king's guard. Every night, who the harvest served had a passage to record his name and uh, deeds uh, for all time. On the top, left hand, corner of each page was drawn. The shield the man had carried at the time he was chosen, inked in rich colors. Down in the bottom right corner was the shield of the king's guard, 
snow white, empty, pure. The upper shields were all different, the lower shields were all the same. In the space between were written the facts of each man's life and service. The erratic drawings and illuminations were done by septons sent from the great shaft of Belair three times a year, but it was the duty of the Lord Commander to keep the entries up to date. My duty now, once he learned to write with his deft hand, that is, the white book was well behind. The deaths of Sir Mandel Moore and Sir Preston Greenfield needed to be entered, and the brief bloody King's Guard service of Sandok again as well. New pages must be started for Sir Balloon Swan. Sir Asmund kittled back and the night of flowers. I will need to summon a septum to draw their shields. Sir Preston saw me, as proceeded James as the commander. The shield atop his face showed the arms of our Selmy, three stalks of wheat yellow on a brown field. Jane was amused, though unsurprised, to find that Sir Bryson had taken the time to record his own dismissal before leaving the castle. Sir Bryson of our Selmy, firstborn son of Sir Lionel Selmy of Abbas Hall, served as squire to Sir Manfred Swan, named the bold in his Tenth year, when he donned borrowed armor to appear as a mystery knight in the tourney at Blackhaven, where he was defeated and unmasked by Duncan, Prince of Dragonflies. Knighted in his sixteenth year by King Aegon V Targaryen, after performing great feats of power of prowess as a mystery knight in the winter tourney at King's Landing, defeating Prince Duncan de Small and Sir Duncan de Zor, the commander of the King's Guard. Slew Melis the Monstrous, last of the Blackfire pretenders in single combat during the War of the Ninepenny Kings, defeated Lormel Longlance and Cedric Storm, the bastard of Bronzegate, named of Named to the King's Guard in his twenty-third year by Lord Commander Sir Gerald Hightower, defended the passage against all challengers in the journey of the Silver Bridge, victor in the melee at Maidenpool, brought King Aerys second to safety during the defiance of Dunskindale, despite a narrow wound in the chest. Avenged the murder of his sworn brother, Sir Gaion Gaunt, rescued Lady Jane Swan and her scepter from the King's Good Brotherhood, defeating Simon Yen and the smiling knight and slain the former. In the old town, turning, defeated and unmasked the mystery Knight Black Shield. Revealing him as the bastard of uh, um, plans. So, champions of Lord Stephen's journey at Storm's End, whereat uh, he unhorsed Lord Robert Bertheon, Prince Oberyn Martel, Lord Leighton Tower, Lord John Connington, Lord Jason Malister, and Prince Rhaegar Targaryen, wounded by arrow, spear, and swore at the battle of the trident whilst fighting beside his worn brothers and Rhaegar, prince of Dragonstone, pardoned and named the Lord Commander of the King's Guard by King Robert I, the first Baratheon, 
Served in the honor guard that brought Lady Cecilia of Auslanister to King's Landing to wed King Robert, led the attack on all the week during Baleon, Greyjoy's rebellion, champion of the tourney at King's Landing in his fifth. In seventh year, dismissed from service by King Geoffrey first Sebastian in his 61st year for reasons of advanced age. The early part of Sebastian's storied career had been entered by Sir Gerald Hightower in a big forceful hand. Selmy's own smaller and more elegant writing took over with the account of his wounding on the trident. James' own page was scant by comparison. Sir James of House Lannister, firstborn son of Lord Tywin and Lady Joanna of Casterly Rock, served against the King's Wood Brotherhood as squire to Lord Summer Craig Hall, knight in fifteenth year by Sir Arthur Dain of the King's Guard for valor in the field. Chosen for the King's Guard in his fifteenth year by King Aerys the Second Targaryen during the sack of King's Landing, due King Aerys the Second at the foot of the Iron Throne, thereafter known as the King's Dayer, patented for his crime by King Robert the First Baratheon, served in the honor guard that brought his sister, the Lady Cersei Lannister, to King's Landing to wed. King Robert, champion in the tourney held at King's Landing on the occasion of their wedding. Summed up like that, his life seemed a rather scant and meaning thing. Sir Baristan could have recorded a few of his other tourney victories, at least, and Sir Gerald might have written a few more words about the deeds he had performed when Sir Arthur Dian broke the king's wood brotherhood. He had saved Lord Sumner's life as Big Belly Ben was about to smash his head in, though the outlaw had escaped him, and he held his own against this smiling knight, though it was Sir Arthur who slew him. What a fight that was, and what a fall. The smiling knight was a madman, cruelty and chivalry all jumped up together, but he did not know the meaning of fear. And Diane, with dawn in hand, the outlaw's long sword had so many notches by the end that Sir Arthur had stopped to let him fetch a new one. It's that white sword of yours I want, the robber knight told him as they resumed, though he was bleeding from a dozen wounds by then. Then you shall have it, sir. This word of the morning replied and made an end of it. The world was simpler in those days, James thought, and men as well as swords were made of finer steel. Or was it only that he had been fifteen? They were all in their graves now. The sword of the morning and the smiling night, the white bull and prince, the wean, Sir Oswell went with his black humor, Ernest John Derry, Simon Toyin, and his kinswood the brotherhood left old Sumner Crickle. And me, that boy I was, when did he die, I wonder, when I donned the white cloth, when I opened Iris' throat, that boy had wanted to be Sir Arthur Diane, 
but some place along the way he had become the smiling knight instead. When he heard the door open, he closed the white book and stood to receive his sworn brothers. Sarasman Kitter Beck was the first to arrive. He gave James a grin, as if they were old brothers in arms. Sir James, he said, had you looked like this to the other night, I'd have known you at once. Would you indeed? James doubted that. The servants had bathed him, shaved him, and washed and brushed his hair. When he looked in a glass, he no longer saw the man who had crossed the river lands with Brian, but he did not see himself either. His face was thin and hollow, and he had lines under his eyes. I look like some old man. Stand by your seat, sir. Kittleback complied. The other sworn brothers filled in one by one. Says James said in a formal tone when all five had assembled, Who guards the king? My brothers, Sir Osney and Sir Osfried, Sir Osmond replied, and my brother, Sir Garland, said the knight of flowers, Will they keep him safe? They will, my lord. He seated them. The wars were ritual before the seven could meet in session. The king's safety must be assured. Sir Burroughs and Sir Marine sat to his right, leaving an empty chair between them for Sir Aries or Cart of Indurn. Sir Esmond, Sir Ballon, and Sir Lars took the seats to his left, the old and the new. James wondered if that meant anything. There had been times during its history where the king's guard had been divided against itself, most notably and bitterly during the Dance of the Dragons. Was that something he needed to fear as well? It seemed queer to him to sit in the Lord Commander's seat where Barristan the Bull had sat for so many years, and even queerer to sit here crippled. Nonetheless, it was his seat, and this was his king's guard now. Tom and Seven. James had served with Marine Trant and Boros Blount for years. Adequate fighters, but Trant was sly and cruel, and Blount a beggar of roly ear. Serbalon Swan was better suited to his clock, and of course, the Knight of Flowers was supposedly all a knight should be. The fifth man was a stranger to him. This was Moon Kittleback. He wondered what Sir Arthur Diane would have to say of his lot. How is it that the King's Guard has fallen so low, most like it was my doing? I would have to answer. I opened the door and did nothing when the river, the very mine, began to pour inside. The King is dead, James began, my sister's son. A boy of thirteen, murdered at his own wedding feast in his own hall. All five of you were present. All five of you were protecting him. And yet he he's dead. He waited to see what they would say to that, but none of them so much as cleared a throat. The terrible boy is angry, and balance wounds shamed, he judged. From the other three, James sensed only indifference. Did my brother do this thing? He asked them bluntly. Did Tyrion poison my nephew? Sir Balon shifted uncomfortably in his seat. Sir Boris made a fist. 
Sir Osmond gave a lazy shrug. It was Marie Trant who finally answered. He filled Geoffrey's cup with wine that must have been when he slipped the poison in. You are certain it was the wine that was poisoned? What else? said the Sir Boris Blunt. The imp emptied the dregs of the floor. Why, but to spill the wine that might have proved him guilty? He knew the wine was poisoned, said Sir Marine. Sir Baldwin swung frowned. The imp was not alone on the days. Far from it, that late in the feast, we had people standing and moving about, changing places, slipping off to their privy. Servants were coming and going. The king and queen had just opened the wedding pie. Every eye was on them, or those tries demanded those. No one was watching the wine cup. Who else was on the days? asked James. Sir Marine answered, the king's family, the bride's family, Grandmaster Faisal, the ice Septon. There's your poisoner, suggested Sir Oswald, he turned back um, with a sly grin. Too holy by half, that old man never liked the, the look of him myself. He laughed, no, the night of flowers sad and amused, Sansa Stark was the poisoner. You all forgot, my sister was drinking from that Cali's as well. Sansa Stark was the only person in the world who had reason to want Marguerite dead, as well as the king. My poison in the wedding cup, she could hope to kill both of them. And why did she run after war unless she was guilty? The boy makes a sense stereomite. Yet be innocent, no one was any closer to finding the girl. However, perhaps James should look into that himself. For a start, it would be good to know how she had gotten out of the castle. Varys may have a notion or two about that. No one knew the Red Key better than the eunuch that could wait. However, just now James had more immediate concerns. You say you are the commander of the king's guard, his father had said. Go do your duty. These five were not the brothers he would have chosen, but they were the brothers he had. The time had come to take them in hand. Whatever did it, he told them. Geoffrey his dad and the iron throne belongs to Tommen now. I mean for him to sit on it until his hair turns white and his teeth pull out, and not from poison. Jim turned to Sir Boris Blunt. The man had grown stout in recent years, though he was big-boned enough to carry it. Sir Boris, you look like a man who enjoys his food. Henceforth, you'll taste everything a man eats or drinks. Sir Osmond Kittleback laughed aloud, and the night of flowers smiled, but Sir Boris turned a deep bee red. I am no food taster. I am a knight of the Kingsguard. Sad to say you are, Sassy should never have striped the man of his white cloak, but their father had only compounded the shame by restoring it. My sister had told me how really you wielded my nephew to Tyrion's southward. You will find carrots and peas less threatening, I hope. When your sworn brothers are training in the yard with sword and shield, you may train with spoon and trencher. Tommen loves applicates. Try not to let any southward make off with them. You speak to me, does you? 
You should have died before you let Tommen be taken. As you died protecting Ares, sir. Sir Boris lurched to his feet and clasped his, uh, the hilt of his ward. I won't. I won't suffer this. You should be the food taster, it seems to me. What else is a cripple good for? James smiled. I agree. I am as unfit to guard the king as you are. So draw that sword you are fondling and we shall see how your two hands are far against mine. At the end, one of us will be dead and the king's guard will be improved. He rose, or if you prefer, you may return to your duties. Buster Boris opened up a globe of green phlegm, spat it at James' feet and walked out his ward, still in its sheath. The man is screaming and a good thing. Though fat, aging, and never more than ordinary, Sir Boris could seal up, ached him into broody pieces. But Boris does not know that, and neither must the rest. They feared the man I was, the man I am, they did pity. James seated himself again and turned to kill back. Sir Osmond, I do not know you. I found that curious. I fought in journeys. Milies and battle throughout the Seven Kingdoms. I know of every head knight, free rider, and unjumped squire of any skill who has ever presumed to break a lance in the lists. So how is it that I have never heard of you, Sir Osmond, that I couldn't say, my lord? He had a great wide smile on his face. This Sir Osmond, as if he and James were all Comrades in arms are playing some jolly little game. I'm a soldier, though not a, not a knight. Where had you served before my sister found you? Here and there, my lord. I have been to Hall Town in the south and Winterfell in the north. I have been to Lannisford in the west and King's Landing in the east. But I have never been to here. No there. For want of finger, James pointed his stump at Sir Osmond's beak of a nose. I will ask once more, where have you served? In the Septons, some in the disputed lands. There's always a fight in there. I rode with the gallant men. We fought for Liz and some for Tyrosh. You fought for anyone who would pay you. How did you come by your knighthood on a battlefield? Who knighted you? Sir Robert Stone, he is dead now, my lord, to be sure. Sir Robert Stone might have been some bastard from the Vale, he supposed, selling his world in the disputed lands. On the other hand, he might be no more than a name, Sir Hasmund, cobbled together from a dead king and a castle wall. But was Cersei thinking when she gave this one a white cloak? At least Catherbeck would likely know how to use sword and shield. Says Ward Westerdon, the most honorable hopman, but they had to have certain skilled arms to stay alive. Very well, Sir James said, you may go. The man's grin returned. He left swaggering. Sir Marine, this man at the Sir Knight with the rust red hair and the pouches under his eyes. I have heard it said that Geoffrey made us. In use of few two chesties, Sansa Stark. He turned the white book round one-handed. Here, show me where. 
It is in our vows that we swear to be women and children. I did as his grace commanded me. We are sworn to obey. Henceforth you will temper that obedience. My sister is queen of regent. My father is the king's hand. I am the commander of the king's god. Obey us, none other. Sir Marine got a stubborn look on his face. Are you telling us not to obey the king? The king is eight. Our first duty is to protect him, which includes protecting him from himself. Use that ugly thing you keep inside your arm. If Dharma wants you to saddle his horse, obey him. If he tells you to kill his horse, come to me. Aye, as you command, my lord. Dismissed. As he left, Jane returned to Sir Balloon's swan. Sir Balloon, I have watched you tilt many a time and fought with and against you in Melis. I am told you proved your valor a hundred times over during the Battle of the Blackwater. The King's Guard is honored by your presence. The honor is mine, my lord. Sir Balloon sounded weary. There is only one question I would put to you. You served us loyally, it's true, but Varys tells me that your brother rode with Renly and then Stannis will so your Lord Father choose not whilst your Lord Father choose not to call his banners at all and remained behind those of Stoneham and all throughout the fighting. My father is an old man, my lord, well past forty. His fighting days are done, and your brother Donald was wounded in the battle and yielded to Sir Wood Heart. He was ransomed afterward and pledged his fealty to King Geoffrey, as did many other captives. So he did, said Jane. Even so, Renly Stanley's Geoffrey Tolman, how did he come to omit Pardon? Greyjoy and Rob Stark, he might have been the first knight in the realm to swear fealty. To all six kings, uh, Sir Balan's anise uh, was uh, plain. Donald Arad, but he is Stamman's man now. You have my word. It's uh, not Sir Donald, the constant who concerns me. It's you, James leaned forward. What will you do if brave Sir Donald gives his word to yet another usurper and one day comes storming into the front room? And there you stand, all in white, between your king and your blood. What will you do? I, my lord, uh, that will never happen. It happened to me, James said. Swan wiped his brow with uh, the sleeve of his white tunic. You have no answer? My lord, Sir Balloon drew himself up. On my sword, on my honor, on my father's name, I swear, I should not do as you did. James laughed. Good. Return to your duties. And tell Sir Donald to add a weather vane to his shield. And then he was alone with the Knight of Flowers. Slim as ward, lithe and fit. Sir Loras Terrell wore a snowy linen tunic and white wool breeches with a gold belt around his waist and a gold rose clasping his fine silk cloak. His hair was as soft brown tumble and his eyes were brown as well and bright with insolence. He thinks this is attorney, and his tilter has just been called. Seventeen and a knight of the king's guard, said James. You must be proud. Prince Simon the dragon knight was seventy when he was named. Did you know that? Yes, my lord. And did you know that I was fifteen? 
That as well, my lord, he smiled. Jim hated that smile. I was better than you, Sir Lawrence. I was bigger, I was stronger, and I was quicker. And now you are older, the boy said, my lord. He had to laugh. This is too absurd. Tyrion would mock me unmercifully if he could hear me now, comparing cocks with this green boy. Older and wiser, sir, you should learn from me. As you learn from Sir Boris and Sir Marine, that harrow he too close to the mark. I learned from the white bull and Barristan the boar, James snapped. I learned from Sir Arthur Dane, the sword of the morning, who could have slain all five of you with his left hand while he was taking a piece with the right. I learned from Prince Dewin of Dawn and Sir Oswald went. And Sir Jonathan Jari, good man, everyone, dead man, everyone, he is me. Jane realized suddenly, and speaking to myself as I was, all cocksure arrogance and empty chivalry. This is what it does to you, to be too good, too young. As in a sword fight, sometimes it is the best, it is best to try a different stroke. It said you fought magnificently magnificently in the battle, almost as well as Lorenly is a ghost beside you. A sworn brother has no secrets from his dark commander. Tell me, sir, who was wearing Lorenly's armor? For a moment, Loras Tyrell looked as though he might refuse, but in the end, he remembered his vows. My brother, he said suddenly, Lorenly was taller than me and the brother in the chest. His armor was too loose on me, but it suited Garland well. Was the masquerade your notion of this? Lord Littlefinger suggested it. He said it would frighten Sunny's ignorant men at arms, and so he did. And some nights and lordings too. Well, you gave the singers something to make rhymes about. I suppose that's not to be despised. What did you do with Renly? I buried him with mine own hands in a place he showed me once when I was a squire at Stone's End. No one shall ever find him there to disturb his rest. He looked at James defiantly. I will defend King Tommen with all my strength, I swear it. I will give my life for his if need be. But I will never betray Ranley by word or deed. He was the king that should have been. He was the best of them, the best dressed perhaps, Jim thought, but for once he did not say it. The arrogance had gone out of Sir Loras the moment he began to speak of Ranley. He answered truly, he is proud and reckless and full of peace, but he is not false, not yet. As you say, one more thing, and you may return to your duties. Yes, my lord, I still have Brienne of Tart in Tower Cell. His mouth hardened, a black cell would be better. You are certain that's what uh, she deserves. She deserves death. I told Renly that a woman had no place in Rainbow Guard. She won the melee with a trick. I seem to recall another knight uh, who was fond of tricks. He once threw a mirror in hit against a poor mounted on a bad temper, Stalin, what sort of triggery did Brienne use? Sir Loras flushed. She laughed. It makes no matter. She won. I grant her that. This grace put a rainbow cloth around her shoulders, and she killed him, or let him die. 
Hello, dear friends. Uh, there the difference between my crime and the shame of Boris Blunt. She had sworn to protect him. Sir Amon Cui, Sir Robert Roy, Sir Parman Crane, they sworn as well. How could anyone have heard him with her inside his tent and the others just outside unless they were part of it? There were five of you at the wedding feast, Jane pointed out. How could Geoffrey uh, die unless you were part of it? Sir Loras drew himself up stiffly. There was nothing we could have done. The wench says the same. She grieves for Renly as you do. I promise you I never grieve for Ares. Brian's ugly and Peggy had stubborn, but she lacks the wits to be a liar and she is loyal past the point of sense. She wore an oath to bring me to King's Landing and here I sit. This hand I lost well. That was my doing as much as hers. Considering all she did to protect me, I have no doubt that she would have fought for Ranley had there been a fort to fight. But a shadow? James shook his head. Throw yours, said Laura. Show me how you'd fight a shadow. I should like to see that. Sadora's made no move to rise. She fled, he said. She and Kathleen Stark, they left him in his blood and run. Why would they? If it was not their work, he stared at their table. And he gave me the bank. Otherwise, it would have been me helping him don his armor. He often entrusted that task to me. We had, we had prayed together that night. I left him with her. Sir Parman and Sir Emmon were guarding the tent, and Sir Robert Royce was there as well. Sir Emmon swore Brienne had a door. Yes, Jim prompted, sensing a doubt. The gorget was cut throughout, one clean stroke throughout a steel gorget. Renly's armor was the best, the finest steel. How could she do that? I tried myself, and it was not possible. She is a freakish strong for a woman, but even the mountain would have needed a heavy axe. And why armor him and then cut his throat? He gave Jim a confused look. If not her, though, how could it be a shadow? Ask her, her. Jim countered the decision. Go to her cell. Ask your questions and hear the answers. If you are still convinced that she murdered Lord Renly, I will see that she answers for it. The choice will be yours, accuser or releaser. All I ask is that you judge her fairly on your honor as a knight. Sir Lara stood, I show on my honor. We are done then. The younger man started for the door, but there he turned back. Henley thought she was absurd, a woman dressed in man's maid, pretending to be a knight. If he'd have seen her in pink satin and Irish lace, he would not have complained. I asked him why he kept her clothes if he thought her so grotesque. He said that all his other knights wanted things of him, castles or honors or riches, but all that Brienne wanted was to die for him. When I saw him all bloody with her flat and the three of them unarmed, if she is innocent, then Robert and Emmon, he could not seem to say the words. James had not stopped to consider that aspect of it. I would have done the same, sir. The light came easy, but Sir Laura seemed grateful for it. 
when he was gone. The commander sat alone in the white room, wondering, The night of flowers had been, the night of flowers had been so mad with grief for Renly that he had cut down two of his own sworn brothers, but it had never occurred to James to do the same with the five who had paid Joffrey. He was my son, my secret son. What am I if I do not leave the hand I have left to avenge mine own blood and seed? He ought to kill Sarborrows at least, just to be rid of him. He looked at his thumb and grimaced. I must do something about that. If the late Sir Celine by water could wear an iron hand, he should have a gold one. So say might like that, a golden hand stroke her golden hair, and hold her heart against me. His hand could wait, though. There were other things to tend to first. There were other depths to pay. The letter to the forecastle was steep and splintery. So Sansa set an end up from Luthor Brun. Sir Luthor, he, she had to remind herself. The man had been knighted for his valor in the Battle of the Black Quarter. Though no proper knight would wear those patched brown breeches and scuffed boots, Know that a crater and water stained the third jerkin, a square faced suki man with a squashed nose and a mat of nappy grey hair. Brun spoke seldom. He is stronger than he looked, though she could tell by the heels with which he lifted her as if she waited nothing at all. Of the bow, Oh, the Merlin King stretched a bare and stony strand, with swept three less and uninviting. Even so, it made a welcome sight. They had been a long while clawing their way back on course. The last storm had swept them out of sight of land, and sent such waves crashing over the sides of the galley that Sansa had been certain they were all going to drown. Two men had been swept overboard. She had heard all those were saying, and another had fallen from the mast and broken his neck. She had seldom ventured out on deck herself. Her little cabin was dank and cold, but Sansa had been sick for most of the voyage, sick with terror, sick with sick with fever, or sick. She could keep nothing down and even sleep came hard. Whenever she closed her eyes, she saw Geoffrey tearing at his collar, clawing at the soft skin of his throat, dying with flakes of pie crust on his lips and wine stains on his doublet. And the wind keening in lines reminded her of the terrible thin sucking sound he'd made as he fought to draw in air, sometimes she dreamed of Tyrion as well. He did nothing. She told Littlefinger once when he paid a visit to her cabin to see if she were feeling any better. He did not kill Geoffrey, true. But the dwarves' hands are far from clean. He had a wife before you. Did you know that? He told me. And did he tell you that when he grew bored with her, he made a gift of her to his father's guardsman? 
he might have done the same to you in time. Shed no tears for the imp, my lady. The wind runs salty fingers throughout her hair, and Sansa shivered even these those to show the rolling of the sheep made her tummy squeezy. She desperately needed a bath and a change of clothes. I must look as a guard as a corpse and smell of vomit. Lord Petir came half beside her, cheerful as ever. Good morrow, the salt air is bracing. Don't you think it always sharpens my appetite? He puts a sympathetic arm about her shoulders. Are you quite well? You look so pale. It's only my tummy. The sickness. A little wine will be good for that. We'll get you a cup as soon as we are ashore. Petir pointed to... An old flint tower stood outlined against a bleak grey sky, the breakers crashing on the rocks beneath it. Cheerful, is it not? I fear there's no safe anchorage here. We put ashore in a boat. Here? She did not want to go ashore here. The fingers were at the small place she heard, and there was something forlorn and desolate about the little tower. Couldn't I stay on the ship until we make sail for White Harbor? From here the king turns east for Barbos without us. But my lord, you said, you said we were sailing home, and there it stands, miserable as it is. My ancestral home, it has no name, I fear. A great lord's seat ought to have a name. Wouldn't you agree? Winterfell, the airy river round those are castles, out of Arenal now, that has a sweet ring to it. But what was I before? Lord of sea, sheep, sheep, and master of the dread fort, it lacks a certain something. His grey green eyes regarded her innocently. You look distraught. Did you think we were making for Winterfell's sweet thing? Winterfell has been taken, burned, and sacked. All those you knew and loved are dead. But Northmen, who have not fallen to the Iron Man, are wearing amongst themselves. Even the wall is under attack. Winterfell was the home of your childhood, Sansa, but you are no longer a child. You are a woman grown, and you need to make your own home. But not here, she said, this maid. It looks so... Small and bleak and mean, it's all that and thus. The fingers are a lovely place if you happen to be a stone. But have no fear, we shan't stay more than a fortnight. I expect your hunt is already riding to meet us. He smiled. The Lady Eliza and I are to be wed. Wed, since I was stunned, you and my aunt. Lord of Arenal and Lady of the Iron, you said it was my mother you loved, but of course Lady Kathleen was dead, so even if she had loved Petir secretly and given him Sir Maidenhood, it made no matter now. So silent, my lady, said Peter. Petir, it was certain you would wish to give me your blessing. It is a rare thing for a boy born here to stones and sheep pallets to wed the daughter of Oster Tully and the widow of John Arryn. I pray you will have long years together and many children and be very happy in one another. It had been 
Here's the sensor that's so her mother's sister. He will be kind to me for my mother's sake, surely. She's my own blood, and the veil of Irene was beautiful, but the sun says so. Perhaps it would not be so terrible to stay here for a time. Dothora and old Oswald rowed them ashore. Sansa huddled in the bow under her cloak, with the hood drawn up against the wind, wondering what awaited her. Servants emerged from the tower to meet them, a thin old woman and a fat middle-aged one, two handsome white-haired men, and a girl of two or three with a sigh on one eye. When they recognized the Lord Petir, they knelt on the rocks. My household, he said, I don't know the child, another of Kala's bastards, I suppose. She pops one out every few years. The two old men waded out up to their thighs to lift Sansa from the boat so she would not get her skirts wet. Oswald and Lothar splashed their way ashore as did Littlefinger himself. He gave the old woman a kiss on the cheek and grinned at the younger one, who fathered father this one, Kella. The fat woman laughed. I can't write... Please say, my lord, I'm not one for telling them no. And all the local lads are grateful, I am quite sure. It is good to have you home, my lord, said one old man. He looked to be at last eighty, but he swore a studded brigantine and a long sword at his side. How long will you be in residence? As short as time. A time as possible, Brian. Have no fear. Is the place is he habitable just now, would you say? If we knew you was coming, we would have laid down fresh rushes, my lord, said the crone. There's a dung fire burning. Nothing says home like the smell of burning dung. Petir turned to Sansa. Grizel was my wet nurse, but she keeps me castle now. Humphreys, my steward, and Brian. Then I name you captain of the guard. The last time I was here, you did, my lord. You said you'd be getting some more men too, but you never did. Me and the dogs stand all the watches, and very well, I'm sure. No one has met, made off with any of my rocks of sheep pallets. I see that plainly. Petir gestured toward the fat woman. Calam minds my vast herds. How many sheep do I have at present, Kala? She had to think a moment. Three and twenty, my lord. There was a nine and twenty, but Brian's dogs killed one and we butchered some others and sorted down the meat. Ha, cool, salt mutton. I must be home. When I break my fast on God's eggs and sweeped soap, I'll be certain of it. If you like, my lord, said the old woman, queer itself. Lord Petir made a face. Come, let's see if my hole is as dreary as I recall. He led them up the strand over rocks, sleek with rotten seaweed. A handful of sheep were wandering about the base of the flint tower, grazing on the thin grass that grew between the sheepfold and touched the stable. Sansa had to stay for carefully. There were pallets everywhere. Within, the tower seemed even smaller. 
an open stone stair wound round the inside wall from under croft to roof. Each floor was but a single room. The servants lived and slept in the kitchen at ground level, sharing the space with a huge breed bird, mastiff, and a half dozen sheep dogs. Above that was a modest hall, an outer sealed bedchamber. There were no windows, but arrow slits were embedded in the outer wall at intervals along the curve of the stair. Above the heart hung a broken longsword and a battered hawken shield, its paint cracked and flecking. The device painted on the shield was one Sansa did not know, a grey stone head with fairy eyes upon a light green field. My grandfather's shield, Petit exclaimed when he saw her gazing at it. His own father was born in Bravos and came to the Vale as a salesword in the eye of Lord Combray. So my grandfather took the head of the titan as his sigil when he was knighted. It's very fire, said Sansa. Rather two fires for an amiable fellow like me, said Petir. I much prefer my mockingbird. Oswell made two more strips out to the Merlin king to offload provisions. Among the lords he brought ashore several casks of wine. Petir poured Sansa a cup as promised. Here, my lady, that should help your tummy. I would hope, having solid ground beneath her feet, had happened already, but Sansa did fully lifted the goblet with both hands and took a sip. The wine was very fine, an arbor vintage, she thought. It tasted of oak and fruit and hot summer nights, and flavors blossoming in her mouth like flowers opening the sun. To the sun. At the sun. To the sun. She only prayed that she could keep it down. Lord Petit was being so kind. She did not want to spoil it all by reaching on him. He was studying over his own goblet. His bright grey green eyes full of was it amusement or something else? Sansa was not certain. Grizzle, he called to the old woman, bring some food up. Nothing too heavy, my lady has it under to me. Some food might serve for us. Oswells brought some oranges and pomegranates from the king. Yes, my lord, might I have a hot bath as well? Asked Sansa. I'll have Caladrol some water, my lady. Sansa took another sip of wine and tried to think of some polite conversation, but Lord Petit saved her the effort. When Grisa and the other servants had gone, he said, Liza will not come along before she arrives. We must be clear or on who you are. Who are I don't understand. But he has informers everywhere. If Sansa Stark should be seen in the veil, the Hanuk will know within a moon's turn, and that would create eight unfortunate complications. It is not safe to be a Stark just now, so we shall tell Isa's people that you are my natural daughter. Natural? Sansa was aghast. You mean a bastard? Well, you can scarcely be my true-born daughter. I've never taken a wife, that's well known. What should you be called? I could call myself after my mother, Kathleen. I'd be too obvious, but after my mother, that would serve. Alain. 
Do you like it? Alain is pretty. Sansa hoped she would remember. But couldn't I be the true-born daughter of Sun Knight in your service? Perhaps he died gallantly in the battle and... I have no gallant knights in my service, Alain. Such a tale would draw unwanted questions as a corpse draws a crowd. It is rude to pry into the origins of a man's natural children, however. He choked his head. So, who are you? Alain, stone would it be? When he nodded, she said, but who is my mother? Kella? Please, no, she said, mortified. I was teasing. Your mother was a gentlewoman of bravos, daughter of a merchant prince. We met in Galtown when I had charge of the port. She died giving you birth and entrusted you to the faith. Have some devotional books you can look over. Learn to quote for them. Nothing discourages unwanted questions as much as a flow of peers of bleating. In any case, at your flowering, you decided you did not wish to be a subtime rule to me. That was the first I knew of your existence. He fingered his bird. Do you think you can remember all that? I hope it will be like playing a game. Won't it? Are you fond of games, Alain? The new name would take some getting used to. Games? I, I suppose it would depend. Risa repaired, repaired before he could say more. Balancing a larger, a larger platter, she sat it down between them. There were a please and pears and pomegranates, some sad-looking grapes, a huge blue orange. The old woman had both a round of bread as well and a crock of butter. Petit cut a pomegranate in two with his dagger, offering up to Sansa, You should try and eat, my lady. Thank you, my lord. Pomegranate seeds were so messy. Sansa chose a pear instead and took a small delicate bite. It was very ripe. She ran down her chin. Lord Petit loosened a seed with the point of his dagger. You must miss your father terribly, I know. Lord Edda was a brave man, honest and loyal, but quite a hopeless player. He bowed the seed to his mouth with a knife. In King's Lansing, there are two sorts of people, the players and the pieces, and I was a pierce, she dreaded the answer. Yes, but don't let that trouble you, you are still up a child. Every man's a piece to start with, and every maid as well. Even some who think they are players, he hate another seed. So say for one, she thinks herself sly. But in truth, she is utterly predictable. A strength rests on her beauty, birth and riches. Only the first of those is truly her own and it will soon desert her. I pity her then. She wants the power, but has no notion what to do with it when she gets it. Everyone wants something, Alain. And when you know what a man wants, you know who he is and how to move him. As you moved the Sardantus to poison Geoffrey, it had to have been Dantus, she had concluded. Little finger laughed. Sardantus the red was a skin of one with legs. He could never have been trusted with a task of such enormity. He would have bungled it or betrayed me. No, old Dantus had to 
who was near to you from the castle, and make certain you hold your silver here not. The black amethysts, but if not, Dantes, who do you have uh, other pieces? You could turn King's Landing upside down and not find a single man with a mockingbird soon over his heart. But that does not mean I am a friendless. Pissy went to the staffs. Oswald, come up here and let Lady Sansa have a look at you. The old man appeared a few moments later, grinning and bowing. Sansa eyed him uncertainly. What am I supposed to see? Do you know him? asked Pity. No, look closer. She studied the old man's light, wind-burned face, hook nose with hair and huge knuckly hands. There was something familiar about him, yet Sansa had to shake her head. I don't, I never saw Oswell before I got into his boat, I'm certain. Oswell grinned, showing a mouth of crooked teeth. No, but my lady might have met my three sons. I, it was uh, the three sons, and that smile too. Kitty Black, Sansa's eyes went wide. You are Kitty Black. Again, my lady, as it please you. She's uh, beside herself with joy. Lord Petit dismissed him with a wave and returned to the pomegranate again as Oswald shuffled down the staffs. Tell me, Alain, which is more dangerous, dagger brandished by an enemy or the hidden one pressed to your back by someone you never even see? The hidden dagger. That's a clever girl. He smiled, his thin leaves bright red from the pomegranate seeds when the imp sent off their guards. The queen had Sir Lester Harris's sword for her, and Sir found her the kitty blacks with delighted old little lord husband since that's where he in his pay threw out his membrane. He chuckled, but it was me who told Oswald to get his sons to King's Landing when I learned that Bron was looking for swords, three hidden daggers, all in no perfectly placed. So one of the kittleblacks put the poison in Joff's cuffs. Sir Osmond had been near the king all night, she remembered. Did I say that? Lord Petir cut the blood orange in two with his dagger and offered up to Sansa. The lads are far too treacherous to be part of any such scheme, and Osmond has become especially unreliable since he joined the king's guard. That white cloak does things uh, to a man, I find. Even a man like him, he turned his chin back and squeezed the blue orange, so the juice ran down into his mouth. I love the juice, but I loathe the sticky fingers, he complained, wiping his hands. Clean hands, Sansa, whatever you do, make certain you your hands are clean. Sansa spooned up some juice from her own orange, but if it wasn't the kittleback's and it wasn't Sir Dante's, you weren't even in the city and it couldn't have been Tyrion. No more guesses, sweetling. She shook her head. I don't. But it is mine. I will wager you that at some point during the evening someone told you that your hair net was crooked and straightened it for you. Sansa raised a hand to her mouth. You can't mean. She wanted to take me to Highgarden to marry me to her grandson. Gentle, pious, good-hearted, with a serial, regretful you were spared. 
He would have bored you spitless. The whole woman is not boring, though. I grant her that. I fear some hold Haridan and not near as real as she pretends. When I came to High Garden to care for Marguerite's hand, she let her her lord some plaster while she asked pointed questions about Geoffrey's nature. I praised him to the skies, to be sure, whilst my men spread disturbing tales amongst Lord Tyrell's servants. That is how the game is played. I also planted the notion of Sir Lord taking the white. Not that I suggested it, that would have been too crude. But men in my party supplied grisly tales about how the mob had killed Sir Preston Greenfield and ripped the Lady Lollies and slipped a few silvers to Lord Tyrell's army of singers to sing of Rayam Red Wine, Sewing of the Mirror. Shield and Prince among the Dragon Knight, a sharp a harp can be as dangerous as a sword in the right hand. May Sarah actually thought it was his own idea to make Sarah's inclusion in the King's Guard part of the marriage contract. Better to protect his daughter than his spending nightly brother, and it relieved him of the difficult task of trying to find land and a bride for a third son, never easy and doubly difficult in Sir Laura's case. Be that as it may, Lady Olena was not about to let Joff harm her precious darling granddaughter, but unlike her son, she also realized that under all his flowers and finery, Sir Laura's is as hot tempered as James Lannister. Thus, Geoffrey, Marguerite, and Laura's in a pot, and you've got the making for Kingslayers too. The old man, woman, understood something else as well. Her son was determined to make Marguerite a queen, and for that he needed a king, but he did not need Geoffrey. We shall have another wedding soon, wait and see. Marguerite will marry Tamman. She keep her queenly crown, and her maiden had neither of which she especially wants. But what does that matter? The Great Western Alliance will be preserved for time at least. Marguerite and Tommen. Sansa did not know what to say. She had liked Marguerite Tyrell and her smell. Sharp grandmother as well. She thought wistfully of a garden with its uh, courtyard and musicians and uh, the pleasure burgers on the mandar. A far cry from this bleak shore, at least I am safe here. Geoffrey is dead, he cannot hurt me anymore, and I am only a bastard girl now. Alien Stone has no ashband and no claim, and her hunt would soon be here as well. Long nightmare of King's Landing was behind her, and her mockery of a marriage as well. She could make herself a new home here, just as Petit said. It was eight long days until Liza and Irene arrived. On five of them it rained, where Sansa sat bored and restless by the fire. Beside the old blind dog, he was too sick and toothless to walk guard with Brienne anymore. And mostly all he did was sleep, but when she patted him, he whined and licked her hand, and after that they were fast friends. When the rains left, let up, Petty walked with her around his holdings, which took less than half a day. He hauled a lot of rocks, just as he had said. 
there was one place where the tide came jetting up uh, out uh, a bow hole to shoot 30 feet into the air and another where someone had chiseled the seven-pointed star of the new gods upon a boulder. It is sad that marked one of the faces the hunters had landed when they came across the sea to wrest the veil from the first man. Father inland, a dozen families lived in huts of piled stone beside a pit dog. My own small folk, but he said, though only the oldest seemed to know him. There was a hermit's cave on his land as well, but no hermit is dead. Now, but when I was a boy, my father took me to see him. The man had not washed in forty years, so you can imagine how he smelled, but supposedly he had the gift of prophecy. He grouped me a bit and said I would be a great man, and for that my father gave him a skin of wine, but he is noted I would have told him the same thing for half a cup. Finally, on a grey windy afternoon, Brian came running back to the tower with his dogs barking at his heels to announce that riders were approaching from the southwest. Liza, Lord Petit said, come alien, let us greet her, her. They put on their clocks and waited outside. The riders numbered no more than a score, a very modest escort for Lady of the Iron. Three maids rolled with her and dozen household knights in maiden play, she brought a septon as well, and a handsome singer with a wisp of a moustache and long sandy curls. Could that be my aunt? Lady Liza was two years younger than mother, but this woman looked ten years older. The coburn tresses tresses fell down past her waist. But beneath the costly velvet gown and jeweled bodies, her, her body sagged and bugged. Her face was pink and painted, her breasts heavy, her limbs thick. She was taller than Littlefinger and heavier, nor did she show any grace in the clumsy way she climbed down over hers. Petir knelt to kiss her fingers. The king's small council commanded me to who and win you, my lady. Do you think you might have me for your lord and husband? Lady Liza pushed her lips and pulled him up to plant a kiss upon his cheek. Oh, mayhaps I could be persuaded. She giggled. Have you brought gifts to melt my heart? The king's peace. Oh, pooh, to the peace. What else have you brought me? My daughter, little finger beckoned Sansa forward with an end. My lady, allow me to present to allow me to present you a lion stone. My daughter. My lady, allow me to present you a lion stone. Lisa Erin did not seem greatly pleased to see her. Sansa did a deep curtsy, her head bowed. A bastard? She heard her aunt say, But have you been wicked? Who was her mother? 
the wench is dead. I'd hoped to take Alain to the Eyrie. What am I to do with her there? I have a few notions, said the Lord Petir. But just now I am more interested in what I might do with you, my lady. All the sternness melted of her aunt's round pink face, and for a moment Sansa thought Liza Erin was about to cry. Sweet Petir, I've missed you so. You don't uh, know. You can't know. John Royce has been stirring up all sorts of trouble, demanding that I call my banners and go to war. And the others all swarm around me, Hunter and Cabray and that dreadful Nestor Royce, all wanting to wed me and take my son to war, but none of them truly love me. Only you, Petir. I've dreamed of you so long, and I of you, my lady. He slid an arm around behind her and kissed her on the neck. How soon can we be wed? Now, said Lady Liza, sighing, seeing. I have brought my own septum and a singer and made for the wedding feast. Here, that did not please him. I'd sooner wed you at the airy. Will you who court in attendance? Who to my court? I have waited so long. I could not bear to wait another moment. She put her arms around him. I want to share your bed tonight, my sweet. I want us to make another child. A brother for Robert or a sweet little daughter. I dream of that as well, sweetly. Yet there is much uh, to be gained from a great public wedding with all the veil. No, she stamped a foot. I want you now, this very night, and I must warn you, after all these years of silence and whisperings, I mean to scream when you love me. I am going to scream so loud they'll hear me in the area. Perhaps I could bad you now and wed you later. The lady Liza giggled like a girl. Oh, pretty bellish. You are so wicked. No, I say no. I am the lady of the area, and I command you to wed me this very moment. Betty gave a shrug. As my lady commands, then, I am helpless before you as ever. They said their vows within the hour, standing beneath a sky blue canopy as the sun sank in the west. Afterward, Trestle tables were set up beneath the small flint tower and they feasted on quail, venison and roast boar, washing it down with a fine light mead. Torches were lit as those crept in. Liza Singer played the vow unspoken and season of my love and two hearts that beat as one. Several younger knights even asked Sansa to dance. Her haunt danced as well, her skirts whirling when Petir spooned her in his arms. Mid and marriage had taken years off Lady Liza. She laughed at everything so long as she held her husband's hand, and her eyes seemed to glow whenever she looked at him. When it was time for the bedding, her knights carried her up to the tower, stripping her as they went and shouting bloody yests. Tyrion spared me that, since I remembered, it would not have been so bad being undressed for a man she loved, 
by friends who loved them both, my, by Geoffrey, though. She shuddered. Her aunt had brought only three ladies with her, so they pressed Sansa to have them undress Lord Petir and march him up to his marriage bed. He submitted with good grace and a wicked tongue, giving as good as he got. By the time they had gotten him into the tower and out of the clothes, the other women were flushed with laces unlaced, kiltless, crooked, and scarce in disarray. But with a finger on his mild Sansa as they marched him up to the bedchamber where his lady wife was waiting. Lady Liza and Lord Petir had a third story bedchamber to themselves, but the tower was more, and true to the, her word. Her aunt screamed. It had begun to rain outside, driving the fists into the hole one flew below, so they heard most every word. Petir, her hunter mourned. Oh, Petir, Petir, sweet Petir. Oh, 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 there, Petir, there. That's where you belong. Lady Liza's singer launched into a bawdy version of Milady's supper, but even his singing and playing could not drown out Liza's cries. Make me a baby, Petir, she screamed. Make me another sweet little baby. Oh, Petir, my precious, my precious Petir. Her last shriek was so loud that it set the dogs to barking, and two of her aunt's ladies could scarce contain their mirth. Mirth. Sansa went down the steps and out into the night. A light rain was falling on the remains of the feast, but the air smelled fresh and clean. The memory of her own wedding night with Tyrion was much with her. In the dark I am the night of flowers, he had said. I could be good to you, but that was only another Lannister lie. A dog can smell a lie, you know. The hound had told her once. She could almost hear the rough rasp of his voice. Look around you and take a good whiff. They are all liars here, and every one better than you. She wondered what had become of Sandor Clegane. Did he know that they'd killed Geoffrey? Would he care? He had been the princess's sworn shield for years. She stayed outside for a long time, when at last she thought so her uh, own bed, uh, wet and chilled, only the dim glow of a peat fire lit the hole. There was no sound from above. The young singer sat in a corner, playing a slow song to himself. One of her hands maids was kissing a knight in Lord Petit's chair, their hands busy beneath each other's clothing. Several men had drunk themselves to sleep, and one was in the privy, being noisily sick. Sansa found Brienne's old blind dog in her little alcove beneath the steps and laid it down next to him. He woke and licked her face. You sad old hound, he said, ruffling his form. Alain, her hand singer, stood over her. Sweet Alain, I am a Marillion. I saw you coming from the rain. The night is chill and wet. Let me warm you. The old dog raised his head and growled, but the singer gave him a cup and sent him slinking off whimpering. Marillion? 
she said uncertain. You are kind to think of me, but pray forgive me. I am very tired and very beautiful. All night I have been making songs for you in my bed. In my head, I lay for your eyes, a ballad for your lips, a duet to your breasts. I will not sing them, though. They were poor things, unworthy of such beauty. He sat on her bed and put his hand on her leg. Let me sing to you with my body instead. She caught a whiff of his breath. You are drunk. I never get drunk. Meat only makes me merry. I am on fire. His hands slipped up to her thigh, and you as well. Unhand me, you forget yourself. Mercy, I have been singing love songs for hours. My blood is seared, and yours I know there's no wench half so lusty as one basta born. Are you wet for me? I am a maiden, she protested. Truly? Oh, Alien, Alien, my fair maid, give me the gift of your innocence. You will thank the gods you did. I'll have you singing louder than the Lady Liza. Sansa yelled away from him, frightened. If you don't leave me, my uh, my father will hang you, Lord Petir. Little finger, he chuckled. Lady Liza loves me well, and I am Lord Robert Powright. If your father offends me, I will destroy him with a verse. He put a hand on her breast and squeezed. Let's get you out of these wet clothes. You wouldn't want them ripped, I know. Come, sweet lady, heed your heart. Sansa heard the soft sound of steel on leather. Singer, I rough voice said, Best go if you want to sing again. The light was dim, but she was a faint glimmer of a blade. The singer saw it too. Find your own wench. The knife flashed, and he cried out, You cut me. I'll do worse if you don't go. And quick as that, Marillion was gone. The other remained, looming over Sansa in the darkness. Lorpeti said, Watch out for you. It was a Lothor Brun's voice, she realized. Not the hounds, no. How could it be? Of course, it had to be Lothor. That night, Sansa scarcely slept at all, but tossed and turned just as the had uh, aboard the Merlin King. She had aboard the Merlin King. She dreamt of Geoffrey dying, but as he called at his throat and blood around down across his fingers, she saw with horror that it was her brother Rob, and she dreamed of her wedding night too, of Tyrion's eyes devouring her as she undressed. Only then he was bigger than Tyrion had any right to be, and when he climbed into the bed, his face was carried only on one side. I have a song from you, he rasped, and Sansa woke and found the old blind dog beside her once again. I wish that you were lady, she said. Come the morning, Grizzle climbed up to the bedchamber to serve Law and Lady a trial of morning bread with butter, honey, fruit, and cream. 
She returned to say that Alain was wanted. Sansa was still drowsy from sleep. It took her a moment to remember that she was Alain. Lady Liza was still abed, but Lord Petir was up and dressed. Your aunt wishes to speak with you, little Sansa, as he pulled on a boot. Have told her who you are. God be good. I thank you, my lord. Petir yanked on the other boot. I've had about as much a home as I can stomach. Stomach will leave for the area this afternoon. He kissed his lady wife and licked a smear of honey off her lips, then headed down the steps. Sansa stood by the foot of the bed while her aunt ate a pear and studied her. I see it now, as she sat the core aside. You look so much like Kathleen, the lady Liza said. It's kind of you to say so. It was not meant as flattery. If truth be told, you look too much like Kathleen. Something must be done. We shall darken your hair before we bring you back to the area, I think. Darken my hair? If it please you, Aunt Liza. You must not call me that. No word of your presence here must be allowed to reach King's Landing. I do not mean to have my son endangered. She nibbled the corner of an honeycomb. I have kept the veil out of this war. Our harvest has been plentiful. The mountains protect us, and the area is impregnable. Even so, it would not do to draw large winds roll down upon us. As I said, calm down and lick the honey from her fingers. You were wed to Tyrion Lannister, but he says, that vile dwarf. They made me marry him. I never wanted it, no more than I did. John Harry was no dwarf, but he was old. You may not think so to see me now, but on the day we were, I was so lovely I put your mother to shame. But all John desired was my father's cause to hide his darling boys. I should have refused them, but he was such an old man. How long could he live? Half his teeth were gone, and his breath smelled like bad cheese. I cannot ab- ab- abide a man with food breath Petir's breath is always fresh. He was the first man I ever kissed, you know. My father said he was too low-born, but I knew how high he'd rise. John gave him the customs for Galton to please me, but when he increased the incomes tenfold, my lord husband saw how clever he was and gave him other appointments. He even brought him to King's Land to be master of coin. It was hard to see him every day and still be wed to that old cold man. John did his duty in the bedchamber, but he could no more give me pleasure than he could give me children. His seed was old and weak. All my babies died but Robert, three girls and two boys, all my sweet little babies dead, and that old man just went on and on with his striking breath. So you see, I have suffered too. Lady Liza sniffed. You do know that your poor mother is dead. Tyrion told me, said Sansa. He said the phrase mothered her at the twins with Rob. Tears welled suddenly in Lady Liza's eyes. We are women alone now. You and I. Are you afraid, child? Be brave. I would never turn away Cat's daughter. 
We are bound by blood. She becomes Sansa closer. You may come kiss my cheek again. Dutifully, she approached and knelt beside the bed. Her aunt was drenched in sweet scent, though under that was a sore milky smell. Her cheek tasted of paint and powder. Had Sansa stepped back, laid eyes across her wrist. Now tell me. Are you with child? The truth now. I will know if you lie. No, she said, startled by the question. You are a woman flower, are you not? Yes, Sansa knew the truth. However, flowering could not be long hidden in the area. Tyrion didn't. He never. She could feel the blush creeping up her cheeks. I am still a maid. Was the wolf incapable? No, he was only... He was only... Kind, she could not say that, not uh, here, not to this aunt who hated him so. He, he had a horse, uh, my lady, he told me so, horse, as I released her wrist. Of course he did, what woman would bear such a creature, but for God, I should have killed the imp when he was in my power, but he tricked me. He is full of low cunning, that one, he is says words, you, my good sir, bad is again. And then Catherine should not have brought him that here. I told her that she made off with our uncle too. That was wrong of her. The black fish was a buying night of the gate, and since he left us, the mountain clans are growing very bold. But you will soon settle all that so right, though I shall make him Lord Protector of the Bear. Her heart smiled for the first time, almost warmly. He may not look as sore or strong as some, but he is worth more than all of them. Trust in him and do as he says. I show, Aunt my lady. Lady Eliza seemed pleased by that. I knew that her boy Geoffrey. He used to call my Robert cruel names, and once he slapped him with a wooden sword. A man will tell you poison is dishonorable, but a woman's honor is different. The mother shaped us to protect our children, and our only dishonor is in failure. You will know that when you have a child. A child, said Sanson, certainly, as a wave that hang negligently, not for many years. You are too young to be a mother. One day you shall want children, though, just as you will want to marry. I am married, my lady. Yes, but soon a widow. Be glad the imp preferred his horse. It would not be fighting fitting for my son to take that dwarf's uh, livings, but uh, as he never touched you, how would you like to marry your cousin, the Lord Robert? The thought made Sansa weary. All she knew of Robert, Irene, was that he was a little boy and sickly. It is not uh, me. She wants her son to marry. It is my claim. No one will ever marry me for love. But lying came easy to her now. I can scarcely wait to meet him, my lady. But he is still a child. Is he not? He is a hate. And not... Uh, robust, but such a good boy, so bright and clever. He will be a great man, Alain. The seed is strong, my lord husband said before he died. Is that the words? The gods uh, sometimes let us glimpse the future as we lay dying. I see no reason why you should not be wed as soon as we know that your Lannister husband is dead. A secret wedding, to be sure. 
No doubt of the area could scarcely be thought to have made a bastard that would not be fitting. The raven should bring us the war from King's Landing once the imps had rolled. You and Robert can be wed the next day. Won't that be uh, joyous? It would be good for him to have a little companion. He played with Verdi's Egan's boy when we first returned to the area, and my sweet steward's sons as well, but they were much too rough, and I had no choice but to send them away. Do you re- read well, Alain? Septim Ordain was good enough to say so. Robert has weak eyes, but he loves to be read to. Lady Leza confided. He likes stories about animals the best. Do you know the little song about the chicken who dressed as a fox? I sing him that all the time. He never grows tired of it. And he likes to play hop frog and spin the sword and come into my castle, but you must always let him win. That's only proper. Don't you think? He is the lord of the airy. After all, you must never forget that. You are well born, and the Starks of Winterfell were always proud. But Winterfell has fallen, and you are really just a beggar now. So put that pride aside. Gratitude will better become you in your present circumstances. Yes, and obedience, my son, will have a grateful and obedient wife. Day and night the axes rung. John could not remember the last time he had stopped. When he closed his eyes, he dreamed of fighting. When he woke, he fought. Even in the king's tower, he could hear the, ke- the cheeseless thunk of bronze and flint and stone and steel biting into wood, and it was louder when he tried to rest in the warming shed atop the wall. Men's heads sledge hammers at work as well, and long swords with the teeth of bone and flint. Once, as he was drifting off into an exhausted sleep, there came a great crackling from the haunted forest, and a sentinel tree came crashing down in a cloud of dirt and needles. It was awake when Owen came to him, lying restless under a pile of furs on the floor of the warming shed. Lord Snow, said Owen, shaking his shoulder, did one. He gave John a hand to help pull him back onto his feet. Others were waking as well, jostling one another as they pulled on their boots and buckled their sword belts in the closer confines of the shed. No one spoke. They were all too tired for talk. Few of them ever left the wall these days. It took too long to ride up and down in the cage. Castleback had been abandoned to Master Eamon, Sir Winton Stout, and a few others too old or ill to fight. And the dream that the king had come, Owen said aptly, Master Eamon sent Raven and King Robert came with all his strength. I dreamed I saw his golden banners. John made himself smile. That would be a welcome sight to see Owen. Ignoring the twinge of pain in his leg, he swept a back full clock about his shoulders, gathered up his crutch, and went out onto the wall to face another day. A gust of wind sent icy tendrils 
when Dean threw out his long brown hair. Half a mile north, the wilding encampments were searing their campfires, sending up smoky fingers to scratch against the pale dawn sky. Along the edge of the forest, they had raised their tents of iron fur, even a crude long haul of logs and woven branches. There were horse lines to the east, mammoths to the west, and men everywhere sharpening their swords, putting points on crude spears, turning makeshift armor of hide and horn and bone. For every man that he could see, John knew there were score unseen in the wood. The brush gave them some shelter from the elements and, de- and hid them from the eyes of the hated crowds. Already their hatches were sitting forward, fishing their rolling mantles. Here come our breakfast, arouse. Pippa announced cheerfully, as he did every morning. It's good that he can make a jape of it, John thought. Someone has to. Three days ago, one of those breakfast arrows had caught Redalina of the rosewood in the lake. You could still see his body at the foot of the wall if you cared to lean out far enough. John had to think that it was better for them to smile at Pip's chest than to brood over Aline's corpse. The mantelets were slanting wooden shields wide enough for five of the free folk to hide behind. The archers pushed them close down, knelt behind them to lose the arrows throughout the in the hood. The first time the wildings rolled them out, John had called for fire arrows and set up those in a blaze, but after that, men started covering them with raw hides. All the fire arrows in the wall couldn't make them catch now. The brothers had even started wagering as to which of the straw sentinels would collect the most arrows before they were done. The arrows Ed was bleeding with four, four but Athel, yeah, quick Thumbarian, and the water of Long Lake at the tree appears. It was Pipe who started naming the scare crowds after the missing brothers, too. It makes it seem as if there's more of us, he said. More of us with arrows in our bellies, a grand complaint. But the custom did seem to give his brothers a heart, so John let the name stand and the wagering continue. On the edge of the wall, an ornate brass marish high stood on three spindly legs. Master Eamon had once used it to peer at the stars before his own eyes had failed him. John swung the tube down to have a look at the four. Even at this distance, there was no mistaking man's rider's huge white tent. Soon, together from the paths of snow bears, the marish lenses brought the wildings close enough for him to make faces. Of man's himself he saw no sign this morning, but his woman Dala was outside tending the fire while her sister Val milked as she got beside the tent. 
Rabbi looked so big it was a wonder she could move. The child must be coming very soon, John thought. He's wavered the high east and searched amongst the tents and trees till he found the turtle. That will be coming very soon as well. The wildings had skinned one of the dead mammals during the night, and they were lashing the raw, bloody hide over the turtle's roof, one more layer on top of the sheepskins and pelts. The turtle had rounded the top and ate huge wheels, and under the hides was a stout wooden frame. When the wildings had begun knocking it together, setting the they were building a ship not far wrong. The turtle was a hull turned upside down and opened fore and aft, a long hole on wheels. It's done, isn't it? asked the gran. Near enough, John shoved away the eye. It will come to the most like. Did you feel the barrels? Everyone, they froze hard during the night, but he checked. Gran had changed a great deal from the big clumsy red-necked Boy John had first befriended, he had grown half a foot, his chest and shoulders had thickened, and he had not cut his hair nor trimmed his beard since the feast of the first man. It made him look as huge as a shaggy, and shaggy as an owl roach. The mocking name, the Sir Alisar son, had hung on him during training. He looked wary now, though. When John said as much, he nodded, I heard their axes all night couldn't sleep for all the chopping. Then uh, go sleep now, I don't need. You do, I want you rested. Go on, I'm not uh, going to let you sleep throughout the fight. He made himself smile. You are the only one who can move those bloody barrels. Graham went off muttering and John returned to the fear. Our eye searching the wilding camp. From time to time, an arrow would sail past overhead, but he had learned to ignore those. The range was longer and the angle was bad. The chances of being hit were small. He still saw no sign of man's rider in the camp, but he spied Tormund John's Ben and two of his sons around the turtle. The sons were struggling with the mammoth hide while Tormund gnawed on the roast leg of a goat and below it orders as well. He found the Wildian skin changer, Barmir six skins, walking through the trees with his shadow cat dug in his heels. When he heard the rattle of the wind chains and the iron groan of the cage door opening, he knew it would be up bringing their breakfast as he did every morning. The sight of Mansi's turtle had robbed John of his appetite. Their oil was all but gone, and the last barrel of peach had been rolled off the wall two nights ago. They would soon run short of arrows as well, and there were no fletchers making more. And uh, the night uh, before last, uh, a raven had come from the west, uh, from Sir Denise Malister. 
Brown Marsha had chased the violins all the way to the shadow tower, it seemed, and then farther down into the gloom of the gorge. At the bridge of skulls, he had mad the weeper and three hundred violins and won a bloody battle, but the victory had been a costly one. More than a hundred brothers slain among them, Sir Henry Tart and Sir Adelaide Winch. The old pomegranate himself had been carried back to the shadow tower, surely wounded. Master Mooney was attending him, but I, but it would be some time before he was fit to return to Castleback. When he had read that John had dispatched they to Moore's town on their best horse to plead with the villagers to help man the wall, she never returned. When he sent Mooney. After her, he came back to report the whole village deserted, even the brother. Most likely, they had followed them straight down the King's Road. Maybe we should all do the same, John reflected gloomily. He made himself eat hungry or not. Bad enough, he could not sleep. He could not go on without food as well. Besides, this might be my last meal. It might be the last meal for all of us. So it was that John had a belly full of bread, bacon, onions and cheese when he heard Oz shout, It's coming. No one needed to ask what it was. Nor did John need the messes of Irish hide to see it creeping out from amongst the dens and trees. It doesn't really look much like a turtle, Satin commented. Turtles don't have four. Most of them don't have wheels either, said Pye. Sound the were horn, John commanded, and the kegs blew two long blasts, two weak gran and the other sleepers who'd had watched during the night. If the weddings were coming, the war would need every man. God's known, we have few enough. John looked at people and kegs and sat in oars, and Owen the team. Tangle, tongue, mini, spear, boot, and rest, and tried to imagine them going belly to belly and blade to blade against a hundred screaming wildings in the freezing darkness of the tuna with only a few iron bars between them. That was what it would come down to unless they could stop the turtle before the gate was breached. It's big or sad. Peepers may smack his lips. Think of all the sound it will make. The jeep was stillborn. Even Peep sounded tired. He looks off head dead, thought John. But so do we all. The king beyond the wall had so many men that he could throw fresh attackers at them every time, but the same handful of black brothers had to meet every assault, and it had worn them ragged. The man beneath them, the wood and hides would be pulling hard, John knew, putting their shoulders into it, straining to keep the wheels turning. But once the turtle was flush against the gate, they would exchange their ropes for axes. At least Mance was not sending his mammoths today. John was glad of that. Their awesome strength was wasted on the wall, and their size only made them easy targets. Their last had been a day and a half in the dying. 
its mournful trumpetings terrible to hear. The tattoo crept slowly throughout stones, stumps, and brush. The earlier attacks had cast the free folk a hundred leaves or more, most still they where they had fallen. In the lows, the crowds would come and pay them court, but now the birds fled screeching. I liked the look of that turtle no more than he did. Satin horse and the others were looking to him. John knew, waiting for his orders. He was so tired he hardly knew anymore. The wall is mine, he reminded himself, Owen horse to the catapults. Cags you and spare boot on the scorpions. The rest of you trying to string your bows. Fire arrows, let's uh, see if we can burn it. It was likely to be a futile desert on you, but it had uh, to be better than standing helpless. Cumbersome and slow moving, turtle made for an easy shot, and the archers and crossbowmen soon turned it into a lumbering wooden hedgehog. But the wet hides protected it just as they had the mantles and the flaming arrows guttered out almost as soon as they struck. John cursed under his breath, scorpions, he commanded, catapults, the scorpions' bolts punched deep into the pulse, but did no more damage than the fire arrows. The rocks went bouncing off the turtle's roof, leaving dimples in the thick layers of hides. A stone from one of the trebuchets might have crushed it, but the one machine was still was still broken, and while the ends had gone wide around the area, while well, the other dropped its load. John, it's still coming, said Owen the Hoof. He could see that for himself. Inch by inch, yard by yard, the turtle crept closer, rolling, rumbling, and rocking as it crossed the killing ground. Once the wild ends got it flush against the wall, it would give them all the shelter they needed while their hexes crushed throughout the hastily repaired outer gates. Inside, under the ice, they would clear the loose rubble from the tunnel in a matter of hours, and then there would be nothing to stop them but two iron gates, a few half-frozen corpses, and whatever brothers John cared to throw in their path to fight and die down in the dark. To his left, the catapult made a thunk and filled the air with spinning stones. They punctured down on the turtle, like a hail, and crumbled harmlessly aside. The wilding archers were still losing arrows from behind their mantles, unwanted into the face of a straw man, and pipe said, for, for what, along the lake, we have a tie. The next chapter whistled past his own ear, however. Fine, he shouted down. I'm not in the tourney. The eyes want to burn, John said, as much to himself as to the other. Their only hope. As much to herself. Um, only, oh, 
um, no matter how stately built, the turtle was a huge chunk of rock crashing straight down on top of it from 700 feet was bound to do some damage. Grand Owen kegs its time. Alongside the warming shed, dozen stout oaken barrels were lined up in a row. They were full of crushed rock. The gravel that the Black Brothers customarily spread on the footpaths to give themselves better footing atop the wall. Yesterday, after he'd seen the free fall covering the tartar with sheepskins, John told Gran to put water into the barrels as much as they would take. The water would see down throughout the crushed stone, and overnight the whole thing would freeze solid. It was the nearest thing to a boulder they were going to get. Why do we need to freeze it? Gran had asked him, why don't we just roll the barrels of the way they are? John answered, if they crash against the wall on the way down, they'll burst and lose gravel wheel, spray everywhere. We don't want to rain pebbles on the horizons. horizons. He put his shoulder to the one barrel with Bran, while Kegs and Owen were wrestling with another. Together they rocked it back and forth to break the grip of the ice that had formed around its bottom. The bugger waits a ton, said Grant. Tip it over and roll it, John said. Careful, if it throws over your foot, you'll end up like spare boot. Once the barrel was on its side, John grabbed a torch and waved it above the surface on the wall back and forth just enough to melt the ice a little. The thin film of water helped the barrel roll more easily. Too easily, in fact, they almost lost it. But finally, with four of them pulling their efforts, they rolled their boulder to the edge and stood it up again. They had four of the big oak barrels lined up above the gate by the time Pip shouted, There's a tartar at our door. John braced his injured leg and leaned out for a look. Hoardings Marsh should have built hoardings. So many things they should have done. The wildings were dragging that giants away from the gate. Holes and Millie were dropping rocks down on them. And John thought he saw one man go down, but the stones were too small to have any effect on the turtle itself. He wondered what the free folk would do about the dead mammoth in the bath, but then he saw the turtle was almost as wide as a long hole, so they simply pushed it over the carcass. His leg twitched, but Hose cut his arm and drew him back to safety. You shouldn't lean out like that, the boy said. We should have built hoardings. John thought he could hear the crash of axes on wood, but that was probably just fear ringing in his ears. He looked to Grant do it. Grant got behind the barrel, put his shoulder against it, grunted and began to push. Owen and Mooley moved to help him. They shoved the barrel out wood and then another, and suddenly it was gone. 
They heard the thump as it struck the wall on the way down, and then much louder, the crash and crack of splintering hood, followed by shouts and screams. Satyu whooped and when they off danced in circles while people leaned out and called. The Tartar was stuffed full of rabbits. Look at them, hope away. Again, John barked, and Gran and Keg slammed their shoulders against the next barrel and sent it tottering out into empty air. By the time they were done, the front of Mansell's turtle was a crushed and splintered ruin, and while things were spilling out, the other and scrambling for the camp, Satin scooped up his crossbow and sent a few quarrels after them as they ran to see them off the faster. Gran was grinning throughout his bird pipe, was making japes, and none of them would die today. On the morrow, so John glanced toward the shed. Eight barrels of gravel remained where twelve had stood a few moments before he realized how tired he was then and how much his wound was hurting. I need to sleep a few hours at least. He could go to Master Eamon for some dream wine that would help. I'm going down to the King's Tower. He told them, call me in man's gets up to anything. Pip, you have the wall. Me? said Pip. Him, said Graham. Smiling, he left them to eat and rode down in the cage. A cup of dream wine did help as it happened. Not sooner had he stretched out on the narrow bed in his cell than sleep took him. His dreams were strange and formless, full of strange voices, shouts and cries, and the sound of a war horn blowing low and loud, a single deep booming note that lingered in the air. When he woke, the sky was black outside the arrows lid that served him for a window, and a poor man he did not know were standing over him. One held a lantern, John Snow, the tallest of them said briskly, Pull on your boots and come with us. His first groggy thought was that somehow the wall had fallen whilst he stopped. That man's rider had sent more giants or another tarsal broken at the gate, but when he rubbed his eyes, he saw that the strangers were all in black. They are men of the night's watch, John realized. Can't wear? Who are you? The tall man gestured, and two of the others pulled on from the bed, with the lantern leading the way they marched him from his cell and up a half turn upstairs to the old bear of solar. He saw Master Eamon standing by the fire, his hands folded around the head of a black thorn cane. Septon Sabdor was up drunk as usual, and the Sir Winton South was asleep in a window seat. The other brothers were strangers to him, all but one. Immaculate in his fur-trimmed clock and polished boots, Sir Alistair Thornton to say, Here's a dessert clock now, my lord, Ned Stark's buster of Winterfell. I'm not turn clock, Thorn. Just said coldly, we shall see. In the leather chair behind the table where the whole bear wrote his letters, sat a big road jolly man uh, John did not know. Yes, we shall see, he said again. 
You will not deny that you are Jon Snow. I hope Stark's bastard. Lord Snow, he likes to call himself. Sir Alistair was a sparsely man, compact and sinewy. And just uh, now, his flinty eyes were dark with amusement. You are the one who named me Lord Snow, said John. Sir Ali, sir, had been fond of naming the boys he trained during his time as Castleback's master at arms. The old bear had sent Thorn to his watch by the sea. These others must be his watchmen. The bird reached the cutter pike and his Santa's up. How many men have you brought? He asked the man behind the table. It's me who asked the questions, the jolly man replied. You've been charged with oath-breaking, cowardice and desertion, Jon Snow. Do you deny that you abandoned your brothers to die on the first of the first man and joined the wilding man's rider, this self-styled king beyond the wall? Abandoned? Jon almost choked on the word. Master Eamon spoke up then. My lord, Donald, Noye, and I discussed this issue when just now first returned to us and were satisfied by John's explanations. Well, I am not satisfied, Master, said the jolly man. I will hear these explanations for myself. Yes, I will. John swore his anger. Abandoned no one. I left the feast with a current of hand to scout the scaling pass. I joined the wildlings under orders. The half hand fear that mans might have found the horn of winter. The horn of winter, Alice chuckled, where you commanded to count their snake as well. Lord Snow? No. But I counted their giants as best I could. Sir, snapped the jolly man, you will address Sir Alistair as Sir and myself as my lord. I am Janus Dean, Lord of Harrenal and commander here at Castleback until such time as Bowman Mash returns with his garrison. You will grant us our courtesies, yes, I will not suffer to hear an anointed knight like the good Sir Alistair mocked by a traitor's bastard. He raised a hand and pointed a meaty finger at John's face. Do you deny that you took the woman into your bed? No, John's grief over greed was too fresh for him to deny her now. No, my lord. I suppose it was also the elf hand who commanded you to forget and wash the whore, Sir Alistair asked with a smirk. Sir, she was not whore, sir. The half hand told me not to bark whatever the wildlings asked of me, but I will not deny that I went beyond what I had to do, that I cared for her. You admit to being an heartbreaker uh, then, said Janice Slint. Half the men at Castleback visited Moza town from time to time to dig for buried treasures in the brother John knew, but he would not dishonor Higrid by equating her with the Moza town horse. I broke my vows with a woman. I admit that, yes, yes, my lord. Maslin scolded his jaws quivered. He was as broad as an old bear had been, and no doubt would be as bald. Bold if he lived to Mormon's age. 
Afizir was gone already, though he could not have been more than forty. Yes, my lord, John said. I rode with Wadings and ate with them. As the offhand commanded me, and I shared my furs with the great. But I swear to you, I never turned my clock. I escaped the Magna as soon as I could, and never took up arms against my brothers or the realm. Lord Thin's small eyes said him, Sir Clendon, he commanded, bring in the other prisoner. Sir Glendon was the tall man who had dragged John from his bed. Four other men went with him when he left the room, but they were back. Soon enough with a captive, a small, sallow, battered man, fettered hand and foot, he had a single eyebrow, a widow's peak, and a moustache that looked like a smear of dirt on his upper lip. But his face was swollen and muttered with bruises, and the master of his front teeth had been knocked out. The East Watchman threw the captive roughly to the floor. Lord Slint thrown down at him. Is this the one you spoke of? The captive blinked in yellow eyes. Not until that instant did John recognize the rattle shirt. He is a different man without his armor, he thought. Gawadin repeated. He is the craven killed the elf hand. Up in the four swings, it were after we hunted down. Dora crowds and killed them everyone. We would have done for this one too. Only he begged fees for the last life offered to join us if we'd have him. We have hands war. He see the craven dead first, but the wolf ripped Corin off to pieces, and this one opened his throat. He gave John a crack through smile down and spat blood on his foot. Well, Janice then demanded of John Ashley, Do you deny it, or will you claim Corian commanded you to kill him? He told me. The words came hard. He told me to do whatever they asked of me. Slint looked about the solar at the other East Watchman. Does this boy think I fell off a turn wagon onto my head? Your lives won't save you now. Does no. Warned Sir Alistair Thorne. We'll have the truth from you, bastard. I will tell you the truth. Our garrons were fading, and Redless shirt was close behind us. Corian told me to pretend to join the wildings. You must not bark. Whatever he is asked of you, he said. He knew they would make me kill him. Redless shirt was going to kill him anyway. He knew that too. So now you claim the great Corian and fear this creature? Slint looked at Rattleshirt and snorted. All men feared the Lord of Bones. The wilding grumbled. Sir Glendon kicked him and he lapsed back into silence. I never said that, John insisted. Slint slammed a fist on the table. I heard you, sir. I desired your measure through enough. It seems you lie throughout your bastard teeth. Well, I will not suffer it. I will not. You might have fooled this crippled blacksmith, but not Janus Lind. Oh no, Janus Lind does not swallow lies so easily. Did you think my skull was stuffed with the cabbage? I don't know what your skull is stuffed with, my lord. Lord Snow is nothing if not arrogant, said Sir Alistair. He murmured Corian just as his fellow turned clocks did the moment. It would not surprise me to learn that it was all part of the same plot. 
Benjamin Stark may well have a hand in all these as well. For all we know, he is sitting in Man's Rider's tent even now. You know these Starks, my lord. I don't say Janos is lint. I know them too well. Don't peel off his glove and show them his burned hand. I burn him. I burn my hand to find a lord moment from a wit. And my uncle was a man of honor. We would never have betrayed his vows. No more than you, mocked Sir Alistair. Septon Salador cleared his throat. Lord Slint, he said, this boy refused to swear his vows properly in the uh, scepter, but went beyond the wall to say his words before a heart free. His father's gods, he said, but they are wedding gods as well. They are the gods of the north. Septon Master Amon was courteous but firm. My lord, well, Donald Noyer was slain. It was this young man, John Snow, who took the war and held it against all the fury of the North. He has proved himself valiant, loyal, and resourceful. Were it not for him, you would have found Mass Rider sitting here when you arrived last night. You are doing him a great wrong. John Snow was Lord Mormon's own steward and squire. He was chosen for that duty because the Lord Commander so much promise in him, as do I. Promise? said Slint. Well, promise may turn false. Corin Halfhand's blood is on his hands. Mormon trusted him, you say. But what of that? I know what uh, is uh, it to be betrayed by men you trusted. Oh yes, and I know the ways of wolves uh, as well. He pointed at John's face. Your father died a traitor. My father was murdered. John was a past carrying what they did to him, but he would not suffer any more lies about his father. Slint purple murder. You insolent pup. King Robert was not even called when Lord Adam moved against his son. He rose to his feet, a shorter man than moment, but thick, thick about the chest and arms, with a gut too much, a small gold spear tipped with red enamel find his clock at the shoulder. Your father died by the sword, but he was a hardborn, a king's hand. For you, a news will serve, said Alistair. Take this soon clock to an ice cell. is wise, Sir Alistair seized John by the arm. John jumped away and grabbed the knight by the sword with such ferocity that he lifted him off the floor. He would have throttled him if the ass watchman had not pulled him up. Thorn staggered back, rubbing the marks John's fingers had left on his neck. You see for yourselves, brothers, the boy is a welding. When town broke, he found he could not face the thought of food, but even for I missed and condemned. His body was acid with bile and his nose itched. Tyrion scratched at it with the point of his knife. Unless the witness uh, to endure them, my turn. Well, what to do? Danny every, deny everything? Accuse Sansa and Serdantos? Confess in the hope of spending the rest of his days uh, on the wall? Let the dice fly and pray the Red Viper could uh, defeat Sir St. Gregor's again? 
Tyrion stabbed the listlessly at a greasy grey sausage, wishing it were his sister. It is bloody cold on the wall, but uh, at least I would be shut off so soon. He did not think he would make such make much of a ranger, but the night's watch needed clever men as well as strong ones. Lord Commander, Mormont had said as much. When Tyrion had visited Castle Black, there are those inconvenient vows, though. It would mean the end of his marriage and whatever claim he might ever have made for Castle Rock, but he, he did not seem destined to enjoy either in any case, and he seemed to recall that there was a brother in a nearby village. It was not a life he'd ever dreamed of, but it was life, and all he had to do to earn it was trust in his father, stand up on his little stunted legs, and say, yes, I did it, I confess. That was the part that tired his bowels in nuts. He almost wished he had done it, since it seemed... He must suffer for it anyway. Suffer it anyway. My lord, said Podrick Payne, they are here, my lord. Sir Adam and the gold clocks, they wait without. Pod, tell me true. Do you think I did it? The boy hesitated. When he tried to speak, all he managed to produce was a weak sputter. I am doomed, Tyrion sighed. No need to answer, you have been a good squire to me, better than I deserved. Whatever happens, I thank you for your leal service. Sir Adam Marbrand waited at the door with six gold clocks. He had nothing to say this morning, it seemed. Another good man who thinks me a kingslayer. Tyrion summoned all the dignity he could find and waddled down the steps. He could feel them all watching him as he crossed the yard. The guards on the walls, the grooms by the stables, the scullions and the wash, her woman and the serving girls. Inside the throne room, knights and lordlings moved aside to let them through out and whispered to their ladies. No sooner had Tyrion taken his place before the judges than another group of cold clocks sat in Shire. A cold hand tightened round his heart. Paris betrayed her, he thought. Then he remembered. No, I betrayed her. Myself. I should have left her with Lordis. Of course, they questioned Sansa's maids. I'd do the same. Tyrion rubbed at the sleek scar where his nose had been, wondering why Cersei had bothered. Shine knows nothing that can hurt me. They plotted it together. She said, this girl he'd loved. The imp and Lady Sansa plotted it after the young wolf died. Sansa wanted revenge for her brother and Tyrion meant to have the throne. He was going to kill his sister next and then his own lord father, so he could be hand for Prince Tommen. But after a year or so before Tommen got too, cold, too old, he would have killed him too, so as to take the crown for his own head.
How could you know all this? demanded Prince Sovereign. Why would the imp divulge such plans to his wife's maid? I overheard some, my lord, said Shah, and my lady let things slip too, but most I had from his own lips. I wasn't only Lady Sansa's maid, I was his whore. All the time he was here in King's Landing. On the morning of the wedding, he dragged me down where they keep the dragon skulls and fucked me there with the monsters all around. And when I cried, he said I ought to be more grateful that it wasn't every girl who got to be the king's whore. That was when he told me how he meant to be king. He said that poor boy Geoffrey would never know his pride the way he was knowing me. She started sobbing then. I never meant to be a whore, my lords. I was to be married, a squire he was, and a good brave boy, gentle boy. But him saw me at the green fork and put the boy I meant to marry in the front rank of the van, and after he was killed, he sent his wildings to bring me to his tent. Shaga, the big one, and Timat with the bird high. He said if I didn't pleasure him, he'd give me to them. So I did. Then he brought me to the city, so I'd be close when he wanted me. He made me do such shameful things. Prince Oberyn looked curious. What sort of things? Unspeakable things. As the tears rolled slow down that pretty face, no doubt every man in the hall wanted to take Shy in his arms and comfort her. With my mouth and other parts, my lord, all my parts, he used me every way there was, and he used to make me tell him how big he was. My giant, I had to call him my giant of Lannister. Oswald Kittleback was the first to laugh. Boris and Marine joining, then Cersei, Sir Loras, and more lords and ladies than he could count. The sudden gale of mirth made the rafters ring and shook the iron throne. It's true, Shire protested, my giant old officer. The rafters swelled twice as loud, their mouths were twisted in merriment, their bellies shook. Some laughed so hard that snot flew from their nostrils. I saved you, Tyrion thought. I saved this vile city and all your worthless lives. There were hundreds in the room, the throne room, every one of them laughing but his father, or so it seemed. Even the Red Viper, Shortblood, and Mace Tyrell looked like two bust gut, but Lord Tywin Lannister sat between them as if made of stone, his fingers still bled beneath his chin. Tyrion pushed forward. My lord, he shouted. He had to shout to have any hope of being heard. His father raised a hand. Bit by bit, the hall grew silent. Get this lying hole out of my sight, said Tyrion, and I will give you your confession. Lord Tywin nodded, gestured. Child looked off in terror as the gold clocks formed up around her. Her eyes met Tyrion's as they marched her from the wall. Was it shame he saw there or fear? He wondered what Cersei had promised her. You will get the gold or jewels, whatever it was you asked for. He thought 
as you watched her back recede. But before the moon has turned, she'll have you entertaining the gold clocks in their barracks. Tyrion stared up at his father's hard green eyes with their flicks of gold, bright gold. Guilty, he said, so guilty. Is that what you wanted to hear? Lord Tywin said nothing. Master Rell nodded. Prince Oberyn looked mildly disappointed. You admit you poisoned the king? Nothing of the sort, said Tyrion. Of Joffrey's death, I am innocent. I am guilty of more monstrous crime. He took a staff toward his father. I was born. I lived. I am guilty of being a dwarf. I confess it. And no matter how many times my good father forgave me, I have persisted in my infamy. This is folly, Tyrion, declared Lord Tywin. Speak to the matter at hand. You are not on trial for being a dwarf. That is where you are, my lord. I have been on trial for being a dwarf my entire life. Have you nothing to say in your defense? Nothing but this. I did not do it. Yet now I wish I had. He turned to face the horse, that sea of pale faces. I wish I had enough poison for you all. You make me sorry that I am not the monster you would have me be. Yet there it is. I am innocent, but I will get no justice here. You leave me no choice but to appear to the gods. I demand trial by battle. Have you taken leave of your wits? His father said. No, I have found them. I demand trial by battle. His sweet sister could not have been more pleased. He has that right, my lords, she reminded the judges. Let the gods judge. Sir Gregor Clegane will stand for Joffrey. He returned to the city the night before last to put his word at my service. That Ewin face was so dark that for half a heartbeat Tyrion wondered if he'd drunk some poisoned wine as well. He slammed his fist down on the table, too angry to speak. It was Miss Tyrell who turned to Tyrion and asked the question, Do you have a champion to defend your innocence? He does, my lord. Prince Oberyn of Dawn rose to his feet. The dwarf has quite convinced me. The uproar was defining. defining. Tyrion took a special pleasure in the sudden doubt he glimpsed in Cersei's eyes. He took a hundred gold clocks found in the butts of the spears against the floor to quiet the throne room again. By the Lord Tywin and Sahar recovering himself. That this should be decided on the morrow, he declared in iron tones. I wash my hands of it. He gave his dwarf son a cold, hungry, Look that strode from the oar out the king's door behind the iron throne, his brother Kevin at his side. Later, back in his tower cell, Tyrion poured himself a cup of wine and sent Podrick Payne of four cheese, bread and olives. He doubted whether he could keep down anything heavier just now. Did you think I would go meekly, father? He asked the shadow, his candles etched upon the wall. I have too much of you in me for that. 
He felt strangely at peace now that he had snatched the power of life and death from his father's hands and placed it in the hands of the gods, assuming there are gods, and they give a mama's thought. If not, then I am in Donish hands. No matter what happened, Tiriana had the satisfaction of knowing that he kicked Lord Tywin's plans to splinters. If Prince Oberyn won, it would further inflame a garden against Donish. Mr. Rell would see the man who crippled his son up in the dwarf, who almost poisoned his daughter to escape his rightful punishment. And if the mountain triumphed, Doron Martel might well demand to know why his brother had been served with death instead of the justice Tyrion had promised him. Doron might crown Marcella after all. It was almost worth dying to know all the trouble he'd made. Will you come to see the end, child? Will you stand there with the rest watching as Sir Dean loves my ugly head off? Will you miss your giant of Lannister when he is dead? He drained his wine, flung the cup aside and sang lustily. He rode throughout the streets of the city. Down from his hill on height, who heard the winds and the steps and the covers, he rode to a woman's hide, a woman's side, for she was his secret treasure. She was his shame and his bliss. And the chain and the key are nothing compared to a woman's kiss. Sir Kevin did not visit him that night. He was probably without having trying to place the terrace. I have seen the last of that uncle, I fear. He poured another cup of wine. A pity he had the salmon silver tongue killed before learning all the words of that song. It wasn't a bad song, if truth be told, especially compared to the ones that would be written about him henceforth. For hands of gold are always cold, but a woman's hands are warm, he sung. Perhaps he should write the other verses himself, if he lived so long. That night, surprisingly, Tyrion Lannister's that long and deep. He was at first light well rested and with a hearty appetite, and broke his fast on friend bread, blue sausage, apple cakes, and a double helping of eggs, cooked with onions and fiery Dornish peppers. Then he begged leave of his gods to attend his champion. Sir Adam gave his consent. Tyrion found Prince Oberyn drinking a cup of red wine as he donned his armor. He was attended by four of his younger Danish darlings. Good morrow to you, my lord, the prince said. Will you take a cup of wine? Should you be drinking before battle? I always drink before battle. That could get you killed. Also, it could get me killed. Prince Oberyn laughed. The gods defend the innocent. You are innocent, I trust. Only of killing Geoffrey, Tyrion admitted. I do hope you know what you are about to face. Gregor Clegane is uh, larger, so I have heard. 
He is almost eight feet tall and must weigh 30 stone or all his muscle. He fights with a two-handed great sword but needs only one hand to wield it. He has been known to cut man enough with a single blow. His armor is so heavy that no lesser man could bear the weight that alone move in it. Prince Hobrin was uh, unimpressed. I have killed large uh, men before. The trick is to get them off their feet. Once they go down, they are dead. The Darnish man sounded so blithely confident that Tyrion felt almost reassured until he turned and said, The Emon, my spear, said the Emon, tossed it to him, and the Red Viper snatched it from the air. You mean to face the mountain with a spear? That made Tyrion uneasy all over again. In battle, ranks of master spears are made for a formidable front. But single combat against a skilled woodsman was a very different matter. We are fond of spears in dawn. Besides, it is the only way to counter his reach. Have a look, Lord Imp, but see you do not touch. The spear was turned harsh, eight feet long, the shaft smooth, thick and heavy. The last two feet of that was still, a slender leaf-shaped spare head narrowing to a wicked spike. The edges looked sharp enough to shave with. When Aubrey's spoon aft between the palms of his hand, they glistened the black wood or poison. Tyrion decided that he would sooner not know. I hope you are good with that, he said doubtfully. You will have no cause for complaint. Though Sir Gregor may, however thick his plate, there will be gasps at the joints, inside the elbow and knee, beneath the arms. I will find a place to tickle him, I promise you. He set the spear aside. It is said that Lance always pays his debts. Perhaps you will return to some spear with me when the day's blue Latin is done. My brother Doran would be most pleased to meet the right fool here to Castle Rock, especially if he brought his lovely wife, the Lady of Winterfell. Does the snake think I have a sunset squirrel away somewhere like a nut I'm hoarding for winter? If so, Tyrion was not about to disabuse him. A trip to Dorne might be very pleasant now that I reflect on it. Then on a lengthy visit, Prince Oberyn sipped his wine. You and Doran have many matters of mutual interest to discuss. Music, trade, history, wine, the dwarfs, a penny, the doors of inheritance and succession. No doubt an hunker's counsel would be of benefit to Queen Marcella in the trying times ahead. If Barry's had his little birds listening, Aubrey was giving them ripe her full. I believe I will have that cup of wine, said Tyrion. Queen Marcella, it would have been more tempting if only he did have a sunset attacked beneath his cloak. If she declared for Marcella over torment, would uh, the North follow? What uh, the Red Viper was uh, hinting at uh, was uh, treason. 
could Tyrion truly take up arms against Domen, against his own father, since it would speed blood, it might be worth it for that alone. Do you recall the tale I told you of our first meeting imp? Prince Oberyn asked as the bastard of God's grace knelt before him to fasten his graves. It was not for your tale alone that my sister and I came to Castle Rock. We were on a cast of sorts, a cast that took us to stop for the Arbor Old Town, the Shield, Islands, Cracker Hall, and finally Castle Rock. But our true destination was marriage. Doron was uh, befrothed to Lady Malario of Norvos, so he had been left behind at Castellan of Sunspear. My sister and I were yet unpromised. Elia found it all exciting. She was uh, of that age, and her delicate health had never permitted her much travel. I preferred to amuse myself by mocking my sister's suitors. There was little Lord Leslie Ye, Squire Squeeze Lips, one I named the whale that walks that sort of thing. The only one who was even halfway presentable was young Baylor Hightower. A pretty lad and my sister was half in love with him until he had the misfortune to fight once in our presence. I promptly named him Bellor Breckwind, and after that Leah couldn't look at him without laughing. I was a monstrous young fellow, someone should have sliced out my vile tongue. Yes, Tyrion agreed silently. Bellor Tower was no longer young, but he remained Lord Leighton's heir, wealthy, handsome, and a knight of splendid repute. Bellor bright smile, they call him now. Had Elia wed him in place of Gregor Targaryen, she might be in Old Town, with uh, her children growing tall around her. He wondered how many leaves had been snuffed out by that fart. Lannisport was at the end of our voyage, Prince Oberyn went on, as Sir Aaron Cordyle had him into a paddle with a tunic and began lacing it up the back. Were you aware that our mothers knew each other of old? They had been at court together as girls, I seemed to go companions to Princess Rahela. Just so. It was my belief that the mothers had cooked up this plot between them. Squire Squeeshlips and his ilk and the various primly young maidens who'd been paraded before me were the almonds before the feast meant only to whet our appetites. The main course was to be served at Castle Rock. Susie and Jane, such a clever dwarf, Elia and I were older, to be sure. Your brother and sister could not have been more than I had or not. Still, a difference of five or six years is little enough. And there was an empty cabin on our ship, a very nice cabin such as might be kept for a person of high worth, as if it were intended that we take someone back to a sunspear. 
a young page for us or a companion for Elia, your lady mother meant to betroth James to my sister or Cersei to me, perhaps both, perhaps say to you, but my father ruled the seven kingdoms, but was ruled at home by his lady wife, for so my mother always said. Prince Oberyn raised his arms, so Lord that the Guzman Woody and the bastard of God's grace could sleep a chain made by down over his head. At all time we learned of your mother's death and the monstrous child she had born. We might have turned back there, but my mother chose the sail on. I told you of the welcome we found at Castelli Rock. What I did not tell you was that my mother waited as long as was decent, and then broached your father about our purpose. Years later, on her deathbed, she told me that Lord Tywin had refused us briskly. His daughter was meant for Prince Rhaegar, informed her, and when she asked for James to expose Elia, he offered her you instead, which offer she took for an outrage. It was even you can see that surely. Oh, surely, it all goes back and back, Tyrion thought, to our mothers and fathers and days before them. We are puppets dancing on the strings of those who came before us, and one day our own children will take up our strings and dance on in our steeds. Well, Prince Rhaegar married Elia of Dol, not Cersei Lannister of Castle Rock, so it would seem your mother won that tilt. She thought so. Prince Oberyn agreed. But your father is not a man not to forget such lights. He thought that listen to Lord and Lady Tarbeck once and to the reigners of Castania and the King's Landing. He thought it to my sister, my hand, Dagos, and Bori handed it to him. A height golden hound with a copper disc mounted on the brow, the son of Dorn. The visor had been ruined with Tyrion's soul. Elia and her children have waited long for justice. Prince Oberyn pulled on soft red leather gloves and took off his spear again, but this day they shall have it. The outer ward had been chosen for the combat. Tyrion had to skip and run to keep up with Prince Oberyn's long strides. The snake is eager, he thought. Let us hope he is venomous as well. The day was grey and windy. The sun was struggling to break throughout the clouds, but Tyrion could not more have said who was going to win that fight than the one on which his life depended. It looked as thought a thousand people had come to see if he would live or die. They landed the castle, walked walks, and elbowed one another on the steps of keeps and towers. They watched from the stable doors, from windows and bridges, from balconies and roofs, and the yard was packed with them, so many that the gold clocks and knights of the king's guard had to shove them back to make enough room for the fight. Some had dragged out chairs to watch more comfortably. 
Why have the person barrels? We should have done this in the dragon pit, Tyrion thought sorely. We could have charged a penny ahead and paid for Jeffrey's wedding and funeral booth. Some of the onlookers even had small children sitting on their shoulders to get a better view. They shouted and pointed at the side of Tyrion. Cersei seemed half a child herself beside Sir Gregor. In his armor, the mountain looked bigger than any man had any right to be, beneath a long yellow surcoat bearing the three black dogs of Clegane. He wore heavy jewelry over chain, dull grey seal, dinted and scarred in battle. Beneath that would be boiled leather and layer of kilting. A flat-topped greyhound was bolted to his gorget with breaths around the mouth and nose and an arose lit for vision. The crest atop it was stone-faced. If Sir Gregor was suffering from wounds, Tyrion could see no sign of it from across the yard. He looks as though he was chiseled out of rock. Standing there, his great sword was planted in the ground before him, six feet of scarred metal. Sir Gregor's huge hands fed in gauntlets of lobsterate steel grasped the cruise hilt, cross hilt to either side of the grip. Even Prince Abrin Paramore paled at the sight of him. You are going to fight that? Hilaria Sand said in a hushed voice. I am going to kill that, her lover replied carelessly. Tyrion had his own doubts now that they stood on the brink. When he looked at Prince Oberyn, he found himself wishing he had brought the fan in him. Or even better, Jane. The Red Piper was a lightly armored greaves of embraces of gorget, spoulder, steel, cut vice. As wise Oberyn was clad in supple leather and flowing silks. Over his barney, he wore his scales of gleaming copper, but mail and scale together would not give him a quarter the protection of Gregor's heavy plate. With its visor removed, the prince's hand was effectively no better than a half hand lacking even a nozzle. His round steel shield was brightly polished and showed the sun and spear in red gold, yellow gold, white gold, and copper. And surround him until he is so tired he can hardly lift his arm, then put him on his back. The red viper seemed to have the same notion as Bron, but this as well had been blunt about the risk of such tactics. I hope to summon hells that you know that you are doing, Snake. A platform had been erected beside the tower of the hand halfway between the two companions that was where Lord Tywin sat with his brother Sir Kevin. King Tommen was not in evidence for that, at least Tyrion was grateful. Dr. Wing glanced briefly at his dwarf son, then lifted his hand. 
a dozen trumpeters blew often far too quiet the crowd. The height sapped and shuffled forward in his tall crystal crown and prayed that the father above would have them in his judgment and uh, that uh, the warrior would lend uh, his uh, strength to the arm of the man whose cause was just. That would be me, Tyrion almost shouted, but they would only laugh, and he was sick unto death of battle. Sir Osmond Kitabak broke again his shield, a massive thing of heavy oak rimmed in black iron. As the mountains did his daft arm throughout the straps, Tyrion saw that the hands of Clegane had been painted over. This morning, Sir Gregor bore the seven-pointed star. The Andas had brought to Westeros when they crossed the narrow sea. Two overwhelmed the first man and their gods. Very pure of you, Cersei, but I doubt the gods will be impressed. There were fifty yards between them. Prince Abrina advanced quickly, said Gregor more ominously. The ground does not shake when he walks, Tyrion told himself. That is only my heart fluttering. When the two men were ten yards apart, the red viper stopped and called out. Have they told you who I am? Sir Gregor grunted throughout his breast. Some dead man, he came on inexorable. The Danishman slid sideways. I am Oberyn Martel, a prince of Dorne, he said, as the mountain turned to keep him inside. Princess Elia was my sister. Who? asked Gregor quickly. Oberyn's long spear jabbed, but Sir Gregor took the point on his shield, shoved it inside, and pulled and pulled back at the prince, his great sword flashing. The Dornishman spun away and touched. The spear darted forward. Clegane slashed at it. Martel snapped it back, then thrust again. And the screamed on metal, as the spear had slid off the mountain's chest, slicing throughout the circle and leaving a long bright scratch on the steel beneath. Elia Marta, Prince of Dorn, the Red Viper is the you raped her, you murdered her, you killed her children. Sir Gregor granted he made a ponderous charge to hack at Dornishman's head. Princess Oberyn avoided him easily. You raped her, you murdered her, you killed her children. Did you come to talk or to fight? I came to hear you confess. The Red Viper landed a quick truth, trust on the mountains, but lead to no effect. Gregor cut at him and missed. The long spear lanced in a ball his sword. Like a serpent's tongue, it flickered in and out, fainting low and landing eyes, jabbing at growing sheared eyes. The mountain makes for big target, at the least, Tyrion thought. Prince Aberin could scarcely miss, though none of his blows was penetrating Sir Gregor's heavy plate. The Darnishman kept circling, jabbing that. Darting back again, forcing the bigger man to turn and turn again. 
Regan is losing sight of him. The mountains um, and the narrow eyes that severely limiting his vision. Aubrey was making good use of that and the length of his spear and his quickness. It went on that way for what seemed a long time. Back and forth, they moved across the yard, around and around in spirals. Circles were slashing at the hair, while the Aubrey's spear struck at arm and leg twice at his temple. Gregor's big wooden shield took his share of hits as well, until the dogs had peeped out from under the stair and elsewhere the whole hawk showed throughout. The game would grunt from time to time, and once Tyrion heard him mutter a curse, but otherwise he fought in a sudden silence. Not Aubrey Martha, you raped her, you murdered her, you killed her children, he said, dodging a loop being cut from Gregor's great sword. He shouted, slamming the spear point into the giant's throat, only to have it glance off the thick steel, gorged with a screech. Oberyn is toying with him, said Elaria Sand, that is fool's play, thought Tyrion. The mountain is too bloody big to be any man's toy. All around the yard, the throng of spectators was creeping in. Toward the tower, the two combatants edging forward inch by inch to get a better view. The king's guard tried to keep them back, shoving at the gawkers forcefully with their big white shields. But there were hundreds of gawkers and only six of the men in white armor. You raped her, Prince Oberyn buried a savage cat with his spare head. You murdered her, he sent the serpent at Gregor's eyes so fast that the huge one flinched the back. You killed her children, the spare flickered sideways and down, scraping against the mountains, the breastplate. You raped her, you murdered her, you killed her children. The spare was two feet longer than Sir Gregor's sword more than enough to keep him at an awkward distance. He acted at the shaft whenever Oberyn lunged at him, trying to look off the spearhead, but he might as well have been trying to hawk the wings of a fly. You raped her, you murdered her, you killed her children. Gregor tried to bull rush, but Oberyn skipped aside and circled around his back. You raped her, you murdered her, you killed her children. Be quiet, Sir Gregor seemed to be moving a little slower, and his great sword no longer rose quite so high as it had when the contest began. Shut your bloody mouth. You raped her, the prince said, moving to the right. Enough, Sir Gregor took two long strides and brought his sword down to Oberyn at Oberyn's head, but the door Punishment backstabbed once more. You murdered her, he said. Shut up. Gregor charged the headlock right at the point of the spear, which slammed into his right breast, then slid aside with a hideous steel shriek. Suddenly, the mountain was closing out to strike, his huge sword flashing in a steel blow. The crowd was screaming as well. Oberyn slipped the first blow and let go on the spear, useless now that uh, Sir Gregor was inside it. The second cut the Donishman caught on his shield. Meta, meta, meta. 
with uh, an air splitting clang, sending the red viper reeling. Sir Gregor followed bellowing. He doesn't use words, he just roars like an animal, Tyrion thought. Oberyn's retreat became a headlong backward flight mere inches ahead of the great sword as he slashed at his chest, his arms, his head. The stable was behind him, spectators screamed and shoved at each other to get out of the way. One stabbed into Oberyn's back. Sir Gregor hacked down with all his severed strength. Red Viper threw himself sideways, rolling. The luckless stable boy behind him was not so quick as his arm rose to protect his face. Gregor's sword took it off between the bow and the shoulder. Shut up the mountain hold the stable boy screamed, and this time he swung the blade sideways, sending the top half of the lad's head across the yard in a spray of blood and brains. Hundreds of spectators suddenly seemed to lose all interest in the guilt or innocence of Tyrion and Lannister, judging by the way they pushed and shoved at each other to escape the yard. But the Red Viper of Dorne was back on his feet, his long spear in hand. Elia, he called at Sir Gregor, you raped her, you murdered her, you killed her children. Now say her name, the mountain wheeled, and she swore Sir God, he was spattered with gore from head to heels. You talk too much, he grumbled. You make my heart hurt. At the hurt. I will hear you say it. She was in the outdoor. The mantis snorted contemptuously and came on. And in that moment, the sun broke throughout the low clouds that had hidden the sky since dawn. The son of dawn, Tyrion told himself, but it was Gregor Clegane who moved first to put the son at his back. This is a dim and brutal man, but he has a warrior's instincts. The red viper crouched, squinting, and sent his spear drafting forward again. Sir Gregor hacked at it, but the truce had only been a feint. Of balance, he stumbled forward a step. Prince Oberyn tilted his dinted metal shield. A shaft of sunlight blazed, blinding the off-polished golden copper into the narrow steel of his foe's arm. Clegane lifted his own shield against the glare. Prince Oberyn's spear flashed like lightning and found the gap in the heavy plate, the joint under the arm. The point punched throughout the mail and boiled the leather. Gregor gave a chucked grunt as the Danish man twisted his spear and yanked it free. Elias said, Elias of Dorn, he was a circling spear poised for another trust, said. Tyrion had his own prayer, fall down and die, was how it went, damn you, fall down and die. The blood trickling from the mountain's armpit was his own now, and he must be bleeding even more heavily inside the breastplate. When he tried to take a step, one buckled, Tyrion thought he was going down. Prince Oberyn had circled behind him. Area of dawn, he shouted. 
Said Gregor started to turn, but too though too late. The spare hair went throughout the back of the knee this time, throughout the layers of chain and leather between the plates on the on tight and calf. The mountain relieved it. Swayed, then collapsed face first on the ground. His huge sword went flying from his hand. Slowly, ponderously, he rolled onto his back. The Dornishman flung away his ruined shield, grasped the spear in both hands, and sauntered away. Behind him, the mountain let out of groan and pushed himself onto an elbow. Oberyn wheeled cat quick and ran at his fallen foe. Elia, he screamed, as he drove the spear down with the whole weight of his body behind it. The crack of the ash wood shaft snapping was almost as sweet a sound as his wail of fury, and for an instant, Prince Oberyn had wings. The snake has bolted over the mountain. Four feet of broken spear jutted from Kagan's belly as Prince Oberyn rolled the rose and dusted himself off. He tossed aside the splintered spear and claimed his horse gets sword. If you die before you say her name, sir, I will hunt you throughout all seven hells, he promised. Sagredor tried to rise. The broken spear had gone throughout him and was pinning him to the ground. He wrapped both hands about the shaft grunting but could not pull it out. Beneath him was a spreading pool of red. I am feeling more innocent by the instant. Tyrion told Elaria sat beside him. Prince Oberyn moved closer. Say the name. He put a foot on the mountain's chest and raised the great wall with both hands. Whether he intended to hack off Gregor's head or show the point throughout his eyes, his little was something Tyrion would never know. His Kagan's hand shot up and grabbed the Dornish man behind the knee. The red viper brought down the great sword in a wild slash, but he was off balance, and the edge did no more than put another dent in the mountain's membranes. Then the sword was forgotten. As Gregor's hand tightened and twisted, janking the Dornish man down on top of him, they rested in the dust and blew the broken spear wobbling back and forth. Tyrion saw with horror that the mountain had wrapped one huge arm around the prince, drawing him tight against his chest like a lover. Elia of Dorn, they all heard Sir Gregor say when they were close enough to kiss. His deep voice boomed within the arm. I killed her screaming well. He thrust his free hand into Oberyn's unprotected face, pushing steel fingers into his eyes. Then I raped her. Kagan slammed his fist into the Dornish man's mouth, making splinters of his teeth. Then I smashed her fucking head in, like this. As he drew back his huge fist, the blood on his gauntlets seemed to smoke in the cold dawn hair. There was a sickening crunch. Elaria sand wheeled in terror and Tyrion's breakfast came boiling back up. He found himself on his knees, retching back on sausage and apple cakes and that double helping of fried eggs cooked up with onions and fiery Dornish peppers. 
He never heard his father speak the words that condemned him. Perhaps no words were necessary. I put my life in the red viper's hands and he dropped it. When he remembered too late that snakes had no hands, Tyrion began to laugh hysterically. He was halfway down the serpentine steps before he realized that the gold clocks were not taking him back to his tower room. Had been consigned to the back cells, he said. They did not bother to answer. Why waste your breath on the dead?